Good evening, ladies and germs, and welcome to another episode of Galanti and Chill with your host, Christopher Galanti, and I am joined today with Stephen Otiri, John Suarez, Devin Kopeck, yep. and a special ghost star, Tim Lucas. Uh, <laughs> I didn't burp in there really threw me off but i'm really glad to be here tim you gotta you gotta pick that up man when we do the burp noise that means you gotta burp in unison that's kind of the way we okay okay yeah you gotta now, burp, now tim, or yeah. else the fan will get us <laughs> the one person that listens <laughs> for burps that we have um guys we're not talking about burps right we're talking about oh well i just watched a lot of burps this month yeah, we um, watched Burpasawa films. Burpasawa. That's what you said, right? <laughs> Sorry, I was going through a tunnel while we were talking last. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're watching uh, another another Galani and Chill, a two-parter. This is the second part of the Kurosawa uh, film festival that I that I've had for two months straight. You just um, couldn't have you just couldn't get enough. I really couldn't, man. This guy this guy's pretty good. <laughs> I'm gonna go out on a limb. I'm gonna go yeah. out on a limb. Say this guy's he's no slouch. Okay, <laughs> I want to tell you that right now. No, um, don't sleep on Kurosawa. Says Chris <laughs> <laughs> Uh Yeah, no, I had to because I um, there's a distinct uh, separation in what I think in his filmography of films that are, are samurai films that are focused on samurai and ronins and all that in that specific time period. And then there are these kind of modern films that he made uh, a lot, a lot being like film noirs, but also really strong dramas in their own right. And, you know, I wanted to give time for both because I think they're both incredible avenues of this guy's work. Hmm. And uh, I think it's important to shine a light on his non samurai films too, because if you ask, you know, most people, you know what what they know of kurosawa they're going to say seven samurai they're going to say yojimbo they're going to say ron uh, uh, a I lot said, of people talk about high and low yeah i said cyberpunk 2077 77 yeah, yeah he, 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 says, was, wait the fuck really up samurai and i was like oh sick yeah. <laughs> fuck yeah dude that's a shame that's a shame <laughs> that's what um, i watched yeah you know and all those movies you listen to him are great but like yeah, you're right. People focus on those when it comes to his career, and there's like a whole nother, like a whole, it's like an onion, you know, you peel back on the layer of samurai films, and then there's this really interesting, uh, like, modern drama that he's been associated with for so long, and I really like these movies, too. They're just as good. Um, yeah, I, I, I watched a good deal. I think I watched more of the modern films than I did, technically, than I did the, the samurai movies, but yeah, um, yeah, we're going to be focusing on, on on the more modern aspects of his career, of his storytelling. Um, and I know you guys you guys watched Ikaru, so that's the one. I, I I'll tell you right now, that's the uh, that's the best one. <laughs> really? Wow. Yeah, yeah. I, I think so. I mean, it was really I, good when I watched it, so I'm not. You guys, I'm not entirely it. surprised, but you, you definitely did. Um, I, it's I think. I'm going to actually make a brave stance right now. I'm going to say Ikaru is, I think, my favorite Kurosawa. I, you know, man. Whoa. Actually, I don't know. You're not. Maybe you're <laughs> not crazy. I mean, we'll talk about more in detail um, about Ikaru. And it's it's recency it. bias for me, man. 
It is. Because like, after that. I watched Rashomon, I was like, oh, is this his best movie? This might be his best movie. <laughs> and then, you know. It's funny, know. too, because I think Rashomon and Ikaru are very similar, too, in storytelling. You know, they both take a lot of chances. A lot of interesting yeah. experimental things going on in the story. Um, but, yeah, before we get into the Curse Owl stuff, uh, I'm just going to throw it out to you guys. Uh, did you watch anything this week? Any films or TV that you would like to talk about? beforehand uh i could jump in i yeah, watched uh, i I did, I did a lot of cleanup this week i finished mm-hmm. out ted lasso i finished out barry um i'm almost done yellow jackets i got like two left i think of yellow jackets uh, i've watched so uh i and i don't know how recent this was but i finished out bu- you watch a bunch of things die yeah 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 <laughs> Uh, yeah, I finished out this season of My Hero Academia, uh, and uh, I'm on the final part one. I Is think that's what they call it. Academia? Academia. Yeah, My Hero Academia. Yeah, it's like Macadamia. They don't yeah, right. Oh, uh, it's just like that. yeah. It's not like My Hero Academy. It's just like Academia is literally. I don't fucking know, man. Um, also, I'm on the I'm on the final season of Sopranos. Um, oh, really? Yeah, but like it's like I'm like eight episodes in to that like 21 episode last season. Are so. you on the first part or the second part? Of I'm season? on the first part. So Johnny, Tony S. Um, Johnny Sachs. We we Tony no 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 we we dealt we dealt with uh like the three dream sequence episodes, <laughs> which was uh interesting but way too much, man. I was like, all right. Um, it's a very, you know, there's one thing that people don't get, and we talked about this before, but Sopranos is a very multifaceted show. It's not just a crime drama. Like, there's weird, it's like weird psychological dreamscapes and comedy. Yeah. And Man, you know, you know what, though? It, it's very, very funny to so listen to them. Because, um, like, this is, like, all, like, all the um, the nine post nine eleven like crackdown that the government's doing. Oh yeah. So like they're like Tony's as Chris. He's like, yeah, those guys you do it. You think they could be uh, like Al Qaeda or whatever? And he's like, <laughs> you know, I did think that, but I don't know. They got a dog. <laughs> like, and I was just thinking about like I would love, absolutely love to just see what the Soprano family's take is on like any modern. Oh, issue. They better for Trump. <laughs> but like, hey, T, I mean, I don't, what's all with this trans stuff? I mean, yes, no, I don't know, man. Carmelo better for Trump. There's no oh, my, oh, of course she did. He's so <laughs> handsome. Um, yeah, you know. T, um, I don't know what this Chat GP just does everything for you. There's a don't special part of my funny bone that gets tickled when I see stupid people try to act smart. Like, <laughs> oh, man, that is, it's one of my favorite things yeah. in the world. Um, in comedy, in general. this this okay. This also might sound douchey on my end, but it was like Christopher was talking about how he's like he's you know he's getting clean again. He's like, yeah, I'm lifting weights, I'm hitting the weights, and Tony looks over. And there's just the thing of ten pounders on the floor. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I just cackled. He's such a he's such a fucking. Failure. I love him. He's my favorite <laughs> person. But that's what's great, you know. None of those people are good people, and it's fun yeah. to laugh at them. You know, that's part of the fun of the show. Yeah, but um, yeah, Ted Lasso. I, I like Chris. I see where you're coming from. I think, I think the positivity was amped up because it's kind of the finale. You know, yeah, I get that. I, I get that. I understand. 
Barry was weak. I gotta well, say, guys, weak. I'm sorry. Weak, Barry right? was weak. Yeah. I really, because like in comparison to a lot of these other shows where they have, it's like a crime drama and you have the the weird, quirky main character that exists. It, it does pales in comparison to Breaking Bad. Yeah. Paul Saul. Yeah. And a lot of these other shows. And uh, I, I, it's hard not to compare them to. Like, it's, well, because I mean, the whole rest of the show was so good. And then it just like really just felt. You know what? Like, uh, some of this stuff really kind of made my initial disappointment with Miss Maisel's finale. You know, I'm like, oh, well, I guess, you know, it wasn't that bad. It's a little bit more. Yeah, put it in comparison. Right? Yeah. Tim, did you, did you watch Barry or any of that stuff? Uh, I watched the first two seasons of Barry, and then I forget why, but I haven't followed up on it. I intend to watch it. Because oh, yeah. like uh, Pohater got canceled, right? Bill Spader got canceled? No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Oh, man. That would be a Oh, shock. you're thinking of Namor. Uh, Namor. Namor. Bill Namor. The child Namor. Namor. Bill Namor hater. Yeah. Bill Namor. <laughs> Wait, is, Namor. Is what, you know what they're saying about him? Is this is this correct? I don't know. You guys can correct me on this. I mean, he just he got somebody Wasn't said. he grooming a 15-year-old girl? Him oh, like, no. Bill Hader? No, no. <laughs> Namor. Uh, uh, no, Namor? The no more. I I, no, he, I read no, something he, about a saxophonist. Yeah, right? it was a saxophonist okay. right. who got who got allegedly he allegedly sexually assaulted her. Oh, yeah. Boy. Okay, that's different. Maybe it was, it was a different. Yeah, idea. and then she like blamed like the Still saxophone bad. guild or something. Like it was, it's a kind of a strange story, but oh boy. Yeah, yeah. and she was a victim luck, of huh? an acid burning too, or something. Oh, oh my god, yeah, I read like that. she used to date a politician or something, and was it Ecuador? I don't know if it's Ecuador. Don't quote me. And uh, and the he hired somebody to pour acid on her face or something or on her oh, somewhere. I don't know if it was her face. Don't quote was me it on Namor? any of this shit. Why is Namor something Namor would do? Wouldn't it? He, he is. No. no. <laughs> I mean, Illuminati man. Phil well, Phil Collins Namor. Alex Maleev's Namor. Yes, Alex Maleev. <laughs> yeah. Namor. No, that dude Holy kicks that. kids, dude. Like right in the head. Jokes, puppies. Collins anymore? Yeah. Yeah. Well, do you remember the Illuminati comic that Alex Maleev drew, yeah. and we were all excited about it? And he drew the fucking right? wackiest fucking Phil Collins looking, <laughs> fucking right, sexual predator looking anymore. Yeah, he's so grody and just Google. Yeah, just Google Alex Maleev. He's like Namor. covered in dirt. He looks like Pigpen. Because we we talked about this last week. It's like, how do yeah. you draw the sexiest version of Matt Murdock? But then. Namor, you oh just my fucking... god! Yeah, it's like he's like he hates Namor, right? It's like he doesn't like the yeah, character. I mean, he literally this looks like he traced a, like Phil Collins' face, <laughs> right? Exactly. Yeah, and not just Phil Collins because Phil Collins was sexy at some point, but like the worst version of Phil Collins you could think of, you know? Well, he made he. I remember he, he made Phil Collins. He made Harry Osborn, <laughs> Tommy Lee Jones. Remember? Didn't he do that? What do you mean? that <laughs> he made him Tommy Lee Jones. Wait, well, like he made him look like Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh no, no, that was um, that was uh, that oh, that was Diodato. Diodato. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I thought that was. It looks the same. Looks yeah. I don't. I can't remember his first name, but I kind of love. I love. Was very big at like actor tracing. Yeah, Mike yeah. Diodato. He. uh. <laughs> it was the Ultimates, and I remember reading that comic, and they looked very, very much like actors. You know? yeah, apparently, they're they're bringing um, Ultimates is coming back or something. I saw. Do you bring it back, Devin? 
Devin, you bring it back? Uh, the ultimate, like the comic let's, ultimate? Let's just say a certain, yeah. uh, certain, you know, a politician threw some acid on the right people. <laughs> Got it. Oh, no. It's what happened to Two-Face? Under so wait, the <laughs> when you say, yeah, like, I'm, I'm John, you brought, you had a question here. When you say the Ultimates, is it like the Ultimates Avengers or is it like the whole Ultimates universe? It's the Ultimate Universe. Apparently, um, Brian so Hitch and Miles are working on a, a whole new thing. No, uh, uh, they're, just re- they're just rebooting the Ultimates. Does this letter on my head stand for France? Are they going to put that in there? <laughs> does now. Hey, hey, John, you remembered it. I did remember. That's, <laughs> That's all that matters, dude. <laughs> yeah. Man, That's that that holds a, a a weird meeting today compared to when it was said before. Oh, speaking of Captain America, did you guys see the poster for uh, the new Captain America? Was it not new? Is it New World Order? No, it's something. No, else. Brave New World. I think Brave New World. Yeah, well, you know, Hollywood NWO. Hulk Hogan threatened a lawsuit, so they, they had, had to change a, it. They, they had a Harrison Ford Red Hulk on the poster. Did you guys see that? No, oh, I didn't see no. that. Is this, is this fake? It could be fake. I it looked real, mm. but I saw that, a picture of Harrison Ford sitting uh, on the set, looking. Looking like Harrison miserable. <laughs> I mean, that being... Oh, wait. Is this what you saw? I think it it, it could be fake. Uh, it's, this, let's see. Uh, I'm going to post in the in the GAC chat. GAC chat. Is Tim in there? Tim added to the GAC chat? I don't know. I don't think yeah, I'm in the GAC it, chat. That's it? Yeah. This says poster by me, according uh, to some were. Reddit. Never mind me, but um, yeah. I don't know. Long story short, uh, I, I was cleaning up on some TV, and uh, felt good. Felt real good. There you go. You, you're all caught up now. So no, I'll never be caught up. We don't have to hold back for Devin anymore. <laughs> yeah, <that's true>. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, <laughs> fuck off. Um, did I watch any movie? I don't think I watched any 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 Kino. I didn't watch any Kino. Sorry, sorry. I, mean, I know, I know. Okay. There's, you there's an actually no Kinosawa besides Kurosawa. Yeah, okay, okay. I, I will say, I know there's a vast disappointment and an expectation that I was supposed to come Adventure in here with Kino, Chris. with uh, a Transformers review, but I just, I didn't have time. Oh, oh shit! Wait, wait, is the review? I didn't, I didn't see it, guys. I'm sorry. Demote, I didn't have time. Can we demote? Well, him? what's the Rotten Tomatoes say? What's uh, best, best ever, I think. Now I want him to get demoted again. Devin, <laughs> guess what? You're oh, no. bottom, you're bottom of the barrel demotion? now. Double demotion? Now, now you've been demoted so hard, you're at the top uh, again. All right, can I be honest? Can I be honest? It's the battle TV show now. Much higher than I thought it would be. Um, 52% Seven. on Rotten Tomato. Oh, that's terrible. That's 92% cool. audience score. I, oh, I thought you were going to say 92% on Metacritic. That would have been awesome. <laughs> How is that even possible? <laughs> it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be uh, possible. That's top critic I, says, in all fairness, I think I might have enjoyed this film if I was nine years old. <laughs> oh. Well, uh, I, heard, I heard somewhere that they poached the five-year-old that writes the Fast and the Furious movies to hey. write the new Beast Wars film, right? You know what? So, like, he's too young to strike, right? So that's how they can get him? <laughs> of course. Of course. Okay, that's, that's course, what makes under, sense. Under the child labor laws in Idaho, he, can, he has to work now. So yeah, go to work and as a five-year-old, right? Uh, and we're all thankful for it because we're getting three Fast and the Furious. Thank you. <laughs> and guys, guys, don't worry, don't worry. I'll I'll watch it. Okay, 
I just I was strays. Did anybody see that movie, Chris? I think you were in that. Oh right? shit, that came out. Oh I think God. that came out. Oh nuts! I saw a trailer <laughs> this week for a movie. I really. Uh, I'm sorry, watch. I'm wrong. I'm lying to you. Oh yeah, you know we can we can jump into some trailers because there's some good. Ones. Yeah, I watched a trailer for what is that called? Past Lives. It's a twenty four movie. I don't think it's, I think it's uh, no, I think it's Korean. Okay, but it's it's weird Korean, not weird Korean, but like <laughs> <laughs> interesting. You know, now we've seen weird Korean. We've seen the whaling. Can you say no, weird it's, Korean? Um, I think North Korea. I don't, it yeah, it's just the this Korean woman. Is it? I don't. I hope I didn't get this wrong. Although I'm Asian, so it's okay if I get it wrong. <laughs> yeah, you're, mm. you're the one who's falling. Yeah, the yeah. So it's this Korean woman who um, who's married to an American like white dude, but then she like hears back from a boy that she had a crush on when she was a child, and he wants to like visit her. I don't know. It looks really good. <laughs> okay. Yeah, like it looks like you know that A twenty four juicy yeah. fucking burrito the- shit that i really love you know speaking mm. of uh 824 juicy burrito shit there is a poor things trailer that i posted on here yeah oh. i think is his name um, oh that's know. um that guy who almost killed all the ghostbusters in that sequel right <laughs> what he the is Ghostbusters Vigo. too. Yeah, he was on that painting. Oh no, that's Vigo, no. you fool! Sorry, guys. Lagos. I already. Come on, come on. Um, that's that's. Uh, I mean, I don't mean to sound super ignorant, but that sounds very, very Greek. It. Is, I think. He, I think he is a Greek director or Italian. I believe he is. He did Dog Tooth, right? Yeah, he Greek film to director. Me. Oh man, I know my. I know my Greek names at least. He did Yorgos. He did the favorite, which I quite like. I like that movie. Oh, the lobster, yeah, killing the of sacred lobster. deer. I've seen uh, none of these movies. Poor things looks great. Looks like a cool Bride of Frankenstein type story, and William Dafoe looks terrifying in this, and I am all for that. Well, you know, I heard they just let him show up. It's like I have guess to have makeup. This is him without makeup in this. Yeah, movie. yeah. <laughs> which is terrifying. Okay. Oh, Mark uh, yeah. Ruffalo's in this. All right, cool. It looks kind of like a fairy tale horror fairy tale thing going on, and and it looks like uh, uh, Emma Stone is is hunting for that Oscar. <laughs> mm. Did she That's get one? Old. Am I crazy? I think she might have won one for favor. The favorite. I'm not quite. Or, or at least nominated. I think she was at least nominated. She, yeah, she's not. She's very good in that. She deserves yeah. to be nominated. Um, yeah, this looks cool. And it looks kind of like that A24 vibe, the juicy burrito. Is it A24? Or do we just or do we just slap that on there? It's oh, Searchlight. Searchlight. It's Fox Searchlight. Okay. Fox Searchlight. Disney. Fox. Disney joint. Okay. Kind of looks Disney like a Disney burrito. thing. Like a horror Disney thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, Searchlight is owned by Disney. Sure, so. sure. Yeah. Uh and now the other the A24 movie, actually, I want to talk about is the Expendables. Oh, uh, well, wait. <laughs> well, oh, yeah, yeah, hold on, yeah, hold yeah. on a second. We can't wait, wait, hold on. We can all admit if for whatever insane reason it had like A24 bought in on Expendables 4, we would all be like, all right, I'm in. They I must don't know what something. is going on. Yeah. They must what have happened? something. <laughs> God. And what if it's exactly as we would expect and we're just, and they never explain. It's the A24's expense. It's like somebody lost a bet. <laughs> I don't know. It was, it's that's the, the only night. 
It's a. Uh, oh God. I I'm gonna be honest. I watched this trailer and I was embarrassed for everyone in it. Oh no! Really? I just feel. I just said, get, get your money, Fifty Cent. That's what I kind of said to everybody. I was like, I'm glad they're getting paid. He's he's not look good in this movie. He looks like a bad actor in this film. <laughs> well, right? I'm sorry you expected anything <laughs> more than that. And ex- expend four bulls. They gotta make. Why do they gotta make it? Just don't make it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Stallone. Stallone needs to do something, I guess. Yeah. He, he can't, he's not doing the Rocky movies anymore. No, that's not true. He supposedly is. He, oh, he made up. Rocky. He made up with with some whoever it was. No, not really. I mean, uh. apparently he. <laughs> okay. <laughs> apparently yeah. he still has uh, some creative control over the Rocky name, and he's trying to develop a, either it was a movie or a TV show about find, Rocky going down to Mexico and finding a fighter. Um, I remember because I was looking into that when I was when I watched the Rocky movies. Okay, uh, and I, you know, I don't know. It might not happen because the writers strike mm. right now, but yeah, probably for the best. Um, <clears throat> anyway, um, there's a Nicolas Cage movie on this this list here. Mm-hmm. Uh, famous Dead by Daylight video game character um, Nicolas Cage is. Oh, hey, are people really That's mad? A weird Steve? fucking thing, right? Like, are people actually like mad that he's in the game? No. Oh, I, I was gonna say you you heard people being mad. No. Yeah, people there are people are that were like excited. that he's not like. Um, oh, he's not a killer, he's maybe. A horror, yeah, he's not. A, no, he's not a horror actor or something. People were trying to claim, but that. he is. Yeah. A horror actor. You know what they should do? They should put in Vampire's Joel Kiss, though, right? If anything, I've heard. I've only heard he's Renfield. People's excited. Oh, I guess he's not technically. Put John Travolta in Dead by Daylight and have them Face switch off. off between killer oh and man <laughs> yeah you know what i mean because you know there's be gotta be all right i'm sorry but there's gotta be like an action equivalent of dead by daylight concept floating around there right fuck by sunrise like like you're just i don't know you're like a guy who's just trying to like you all play members of a mexican cartel and then like john matrix is the killer uh, and i mean then there was it's, the it's just game. yeah fuck that doesn't that do it didn't. for Devin. That didn't do it for no, no. I want Predator to be like a special guest killer. You know, you need you need the mechanics down first. So you need you're saying more like a human action hero like John. McCain. I would be, yeah. Well, like it, you know, it has its own levels. It has its own like you know, quote unquote killers. Uh, mm-hmm. But then eventually, once it gets popular enough, they start pulling like real characters. Real John characters. McClane would be like John, John McClane's in there. He won, right? <laughs> yeah. Kind of describing that multiplayer mode from Metal Gear Solid Three on PlayStation Two. Oh yeah, what's that Snake and everyone else, and every, one person played as Snake, and the other people were the guards, and they had to try and. Dude, take I forgot out about that. That sounds well, like the um. Well, the yeah, Splinter Cell, the Splinter Cell thing. Oh, that's right. yeah. That was like Commandos yeah, versus like Cell. Ops. That, yeah, that was fun. Yeah. All you right. Could, like, well, whisper, you could like whisper in their ear and shit when you fucking grab them from behind. Yeah, we can. Um, no, that, was, that was manhunt. Steve could yell and get you in trouble. Oh, yeah, <laughs> kiss you. Kiss yeah, I'm gonna kiss you right now. Suck on kiss you. Let me get a little nip. But yeah, listen. I Show think there's some. some there's something with that that concept, and then. Um, anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, uh, this trailer looked interesting. I think it's gonna be very baseline. Like, well, let me guess. He's the devil. 
<laughs> you know, like I don't. <laughs> They're gonna introduce Satan into the Expendables I... universe? No, no, no. I mean, I mean, in this uh, Sympathy for the Devil trailer. <laughs> oh, oh, actually, sorry. dude, the Expendables <laughs> versus whoops, Satan, dude. Yeah, actually, I got left behind. I got left one behind of them gets pulled one. into hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jason Statham gets pulled into hell, and then Stallone's I like, hey, we never leave a man behind, and even though it's called the Expendables. Has a thing in his contract where he can't be like put over like in wrestling like he can't <laughs> he can't lose fights if he's the, the lead. So I would play with that if I was a screenwriter and have him fight like Satan and God in a movie and just like mm-hmm. make fun of it like he can't lose a fight to God. And like God gets, yeah, of course, kicked, you know, and he's standing over him <laughs> or like he's like, I got to give it as good as I get it, you know, yeah. And I thought you had the answers for everything. Like, you keep saying that to God. It's <laughs> <laughs> on the ground. Like, stay away from me. <laughs> How could you let babies die if you're God? Like, just every baseline. <laughs> the joke I'm making, that that is a ridiculous thing to put in the contract. Right? <laughs> well, so- yeah. Well, you think, what if he's, like, hyper-religious? That he goes, well, God's okay. Oh shit! I'll lose to God. No, I would, I, I would be on set every day to make sure he fights and beats God. In my screen, <laughs> so he's basically a Final Fantasy party member. Of course, that's what okay. he's written in his contract. That's that's end game Final Fantasy. It's like, oh, don't forget to rescue the princess. And then by hour sixteen, it's like find and defeat God. And you're like, all right, let's go. So in uh, my film about beating up God, we got bottoms coming out this looks pretty good actually i'm, I'm yeah for this our, our rated comedy i always keep my eye open just you know my eyes open i'm looking at you excited for that one with um jennifer my god Lawrence? what's wrong with me yeah 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 what is that i only saw a gif so she's basically she's like being paid by this parent these parents to like uh have sex with their son but her oh, their yeah. son is like a fucking complete, you know, an utter just like weirdo. He's like, you know, he's just a strange dude. Um, and well, he's that fun kind of incel, not the dangerous incel. Right? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. You know, no hard feelings. Uh, but it's like you know, it's kind of like, hey, remember R-rated comedies? Hey. Why? That's why I'm. <laughs> hey, hey, not nah, bad, not nah, bad, like this. Hey, hey. Oh and yeah, beyond, you know what? It's why the Beyond the Spider Verse is going to be an R-rated comedy. Mm, oh yeah, yeah, me and Devin both watched Into the Spider Verse separately. Yeah, this week as well, which is interesting. I was a uh, rebreather on that, and one. it's a kill. I think it's a kill now for both of us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, my mom. I wanted to watch the new one with my mother, and she's like, "I haven't seen the original," so I I forgot I have like the f- the four K FU like ultra. HDR whatever version, uh, yeah, and it's it looks gorgeous, dude. It looks so good on my TV. And then as soon as we put it on, my mom's like, "Oh, I have seen this," and I was like, "You motherfucker!" Um, oh, but no, that movie. Oh, this one, yeah, I've seen. I was like, "Mom, how could you not remember if you've seen this?" I mean, I thought you meant arachnophobia. No offense, no offense, but I'm like, this is this sticks out pretty extremely. He is the Spider Man into the Goodman verse. He deals with Ooh, the Goodman verse. He's only in that movie for like 15 minutes. He got nominated for Academy Award. Isn't that great? Wait, which one? Arachnophobia. 
He's deserved. he's the only memorable thing in that movie. I, you're absolutely right, and you know yeah. people don't seem to realize that that movie is goofy as hell. And I think it's oh yeah, it's really kind of fun. The fucking spiders hiss, dude. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty fun. It's like it's not a thing. Spiders hiss. It's fun. Not yeah. the best Curse Owl movie, but it's up there. Really. It's it's up there. Yeah. Uh, oh, and uh, speaking of garbage, uh, according to Chris Galani, um, all <laughs> <laughs> oh, those uh, the. <laughs> The Adult Swim, uh, My Adventures with Superman trailer dropped. Well, Devin, did you watch the trailer? That's why. Yeah, I was like, okay, it looks pretty good. Like, doesn't gar garbage is? I feel just like the most extreme. It looks uninspired. I think uh, you know what? I'm willing to give it a shot. I just again. You just you went straight to garbage, and I was like, oh, I, I, okay. I have no time for uninspired animated content. There's so much good animated shit out there. I, I can't. I don't have time I mean, maybe. To stop. I don't Has anyone else seen this trailer? Or is it just being I didn't even watch it. After Chris called it trash, I watched it. Yeah. And, uh, oh, see, that's that's Chris I mean, going. Hey, it looks fine. It's a gut reaction. Oh, I know why. Because Jimmy Olsen's like, black. Never mind. That makes sense. It looks fine. I don't know. It's like I've seen that already in a superhero yeah. show, and I just don't need. What's so it. special about it? Like, what's the gimmick for this? That's one? the thing. I, there's no gimmick. gimmick. It's, it's just, <laughs> it's just uh, new age modern. No gimmick. There's no angle. Which Superman is it? Is just it's Clark Kent Superman. Yeah, it's tights, and it's in the uh, it's in the four six six shot. It seems it's the first one. Seems I'm trying not to watch a trailer right now. Okay, I want you to okay. sell it to me, Devin. Uh, yeah, I need to make this fucking park, bro. Right. I need to do it. Oh, I got me. You didn't say that. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, I kind of is... love that his tenacity is the thing they keep like bringing up in the wake. And they, they each have a story about this like v- man with stomach cancer who can barely stand up just being a pain in the ass at City Hall until people <laughs> just give him what he wants. Yeah, and it's kind of inspiring to the guy who ends up taking over for him, who ends up being a shit weasel anyway. But like, you know, he's like, "How can you like stand being treated like this? People act like we don't even fucking exist." And he's like, "I don't have time to hate people. I don't have that kind of time." And he just goes back to work to get more shit done. Uh, this could possibly be my favorite ending scene too in any Kurosawa movie. Probably. Which one of him on his silhouette on the bridge? I know. I think it's him. I, I don't know if it's it's towards the end, but it's him on the on the swing in the snow. Oh, him on the swing oh when the cop God. when the cop tells the story of because yeah, he thinks he's the reason that he died. <laughs> the poor right. that that's poor guy. Right, that's such a great a cap. No, I but felt, like uh, yeah, that that scene is incredible. But specifically, in, in addition to the him like on the swing by himself singing the song that he sang at the uh, the club earlier, uh, when the cop comes in holding his like ruined new hat that he had yeah. bought as part of his like i'm alive again sort of party montage and it's fucking destroyed it's a suede hat that was out in the snow all night and he hands it to the sun and the sun is just like holding yeah. his dead dad's hat that is fucking destroyed i i found that to be a pretty big emotional gut punch as it's well. pretty pretty brutal especially you know because you're kind of like you kind of don't know how to feel like i kind of didn't know how to feel about the sun until he realizes that his dad never told him, so he had no right. idea, and that's horrible. And then all he's left with is, you know, the retirement money that he fucking wanted so bad, which he, it felt like he just didn't even care about it 
at that point anymore. Should, and then we should probably mention that scene real quick because that was a fucking jump scare when I watched it. <laughs> The son and his wife are uh, talking loudly when they get home about how, uh, you know, they want to ask Mr. Watanabe for some of his like pension money and some of his retirement bonus when he gets it uh, in order to put a down payment on their own house. And then they turn on the light and he's just fucking kneeling there (laughs) in the darkness, (laughs) eyes wide and glassy the entire time. Poor guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know how to feel about the son either. I think that I don't think he's intentionally a bad guy. I think like everything else in this movie, there's a dichotomy here. I mean, he's a pro- he's a product of whatever vices his 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 dad had and, as a father. I mean, you know, well, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's a single it's a single father too. You know, he's a right. workaholic who spent so much time at work and kind of sacrificed so much to do nothing. Really, his work is pointless. Well, it's all um, under the guise of providing for Mitsuo because, the, right. you know, Mitsuo's mom died. And, and rather than deal with that emotionally, he threw himself into work saying, I got to take care of my son. And he right. missed important shit. And he wasn't necessarily the best dad in the universe. But listen, I, I, I do just want to highlight real quickly the scene where they throw back to the ride in the car following the funeral procession for his mom for his yeah for, for Mitsuo's mom and it, for Mitsuo's mom. And he says, hurry, mommy's getting away. Ugh. Yeah. I want to. I want to peel off my own face. Yeah, it's fucking brutal. Yeah, I'll tell you what. um, I like. I like that his son is the way he is, and I. I kind of. I understand it. I. I, Because you know, you ever hear that thing about like, um, you know, like people at a funeral when like somebody's father dies, and if the father was like really good and a good parent, the son or the daughter usually doesn't cry as hard like it's more like well he was sick and he had to go and that's you know that's stuff i mean of course they cry but it's not like it's controlled it's something that they know this person left a good impression on them versus the person that you know was was beaten or abused by their parent and that parent dies a lot of times that person cries harder and is more affected by the death because it's a relationship that was never able to grow right and they they had no closure they right. weren't able to they didn't. They weren't able to mend their their differences before. Exactly. And it was too late for anything. That's and it's pretty. Me, it's pretty sad. That's a perfect representation of the son. Like a perfect. I think he's overly harsh. You know. I think he held on to things, but I think he's dealing with trauma with his mother, just like his father. And um, <laughs> he actually does have a heart at the end, and you realize that it meant something. Yeah, and that, and he actually, I guess, got to see that part of his dad too through everybody else at the wake right right which is a which is a good thing as well perspective right that's a lot right. of what this film is about learning the one thing the one thing that kind of bothered me was there was no the girl the toyo girl she didn't show up at the wake right there was no closure with her after i think i mean i i think the closure we get with her is the scene where you know he had been taking her out every night for weeks the I mean, they, sh- they that, show like, the bunny rabbit toy, right? At, at, like during the wake, they show right. it. I think it might have been. I don't know. I, th- I don't know if we're supposed to glean from that that he either kept the toy or that she came by and dropped it off I, earlier. I it was guilt, right? Like she she came by, dropped it off, and didn't want to show her face because the really she was brutal to him at the at the in their last meeting where she was that, like you know. that scene was is pretty sick. When yeah. he re- when he when oh. he has the epiphany oh, and then great. he runs off and, and those people, people are singing happy birthday. 
Oh, and I was like, "This is this is crazy. This it's is so like good. a it's a rebirth, you know? Like he's that right. birthday, happy birthday song. Yeah, it's perfect. It's coming and they're they're life. it's like they're singing to him, but they're just singing to somebody that's walking off the steps. But he's right. I don't know. It's fucking. But you genius. don't know that until genius. he walks out of frame, and the person they're singing to walks into frame. It's so yeah. sick. <laughs> so good. It's very very good. But yeah, um, I don't know, man. So I got a, a few movie. few little facts about this film, which I, I really, really want to talk about. Um. So it's written by Kira Kurosawa, Shinobi Hashimoto, and Hideo Uguni. This is the Uguni's first... his uh his fucking brain slave, right? His, his muse. That's slave. the guy. <laughs> this is the first. That's the guy we talked about last time. This the, the fucking first... dude. He has a he has a fucking crang jar in his office, <laughs> and it's that dude. And that dude yeah, like, all his stories, all his good movies. There's a picture of Aguni, and he looks like he's on his deathbed. And I think that was like the best picture they had of him. <laughs> Because Kurosawa was like fucking draining the last fucking drops of of knowledge from him for his last movies. I gotta admit though, this guy he adds so much to the plot. I think it was his idea. I, like I think his idea to to have him die midway through the film, um, and that's so to me that's so experimental, so off the wall. Yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, man, you know, especially for for a director like Kurosawa that loves Shakespearean tragedies, right? Yeah, he obviously exactly. loves them. To do know, do something like that is like it's so against the grain good. for storytelling, you know, like to to kill off that main character like that. But like it's it, it, the movie blossoms, you know, like that's the that's the, the 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 not the inciting action, but like it's such an important part of the plot and it adds so much to the end. Of the yeah, story. we get a little mini Rashomon halfway through the movie. Yes, right. Everybody yes. keeps right. tells their stories about him. That I love. I love that. And that's why I like Rashomon so much. And I think this is why I, I fucking love this movie so much. Um, <laughs> this is a beautiful, this is a beautiful, beautiful story. Beautiful story. To tell. Beautiful story. It's actually inspired by Leo Tolstoy's The Death of Ivan Ilyich. Which I've heard oh, another about. Russian. Mm-hmm. Right. Man, Kurosawa's. A worldly motherfucker. Yeah, he's. Got, he's I got would say some... hack, but yeah, sure. He's, got, some... <laughs> he's got amazing taste. He's, got, He's got taste. He's got interesting taste, huh? Um, Russian literature is very good. Like, it, if you get past the the bunch of characters and you really get into it, it's it's usually like heartbreaking and extremely sad, but like so cathartic to read. Um, I get why he likes it because he's kind of a downer <laughs> in a lot of his movies. It's a pretty dour look on life. Um, the three main themes of this film, we've been talking about it, were living in death, bureaucracy, and family life. That's all kind of a big part of it. Uh, Roger Ebert has this film on his list of the greatest movies ever made, saying he watches it every five years or so. And the older Jesus he gets, Christ. the less he finds Watanabe pathetic and more direct representation of the audience. Oh, oh man. Dude, that's, uh, that's pretty deep. That's a deep cut. I, I, I kind of agree with that. Yeah, though. you kind I, of I wrote, agree. <laughs> I wrote. Uh, I wrote the whole fucking. I was watch. I watched it this I afternoon to prepare for this. I wrote this whole fucking huge sleeve of notes here, but um, I wrote uh, Watanabe is eminently relatable because we've all been him. We've all been directionless yeah. and complacent to a working environment we can't be bothered to care about due to needless bureaucracy and domestic necessity. He buries himself in his career because he is incapable of actually dealing with the death of his wife at so young an age, and he insists he does it all for his son. He even tricks himself into trying to resent Mitsuo, but he can't bring himself to do it, even in his darkest moments, to feel anything but adoration and love for his son. 
and we, the audience, feel for him in spite of his inherent, sincere, wormy, milquetoast nothingness because we relate to the effortlessness of his selling out and giving up. Yeah, you know. It's, that's him. Yeah, I mean, that's... Shallow waters run deep, you know? Like, there's uh, there's a lot to him that nobody... I don't even think we would... We're ever going to know. Like, I think we got a glimpse of his life, the life, you know, towards the end. But I feel like <clears throat> there's aspects that he kept from everybody. And that's sort of what's great about this movie is you get to learn something about a person, a real a truthful right. thing about a human being. The, re- the real tragedy of this movie to me is that th- when we're introduced to Watanabe, like when we first see him, he opens his drawer to get something and we see a proposal he wrote like 30 years before when he was first got to the department when he still cared about shit and he still holds on to it, but he's not that person anymore. And we see towards the end who he could have been if he had been able to hold on to the part of himself that cared about his job. He gets this park done and the kids are no longer getting rashes and they're not getting fucking diarrhea from being in the water. And the moms break into his funeral to cry at his fucking grave. To light incense. That's something Kurosawa does so well. It's it's groups of people all sort of embodying the same emotion. And it just adds the, the emotional impact of that as a group of people all reacting the same way. It's, it's something that, you know, it's, it's hard to recreate other than just bringing in a lot of people, having them all kind of emote the same way. It's, it's very powerful. Um, yeah. I, I, I loved it. I love, I really do love this movie. Um, it's hard. for Yeah. Me we to- can't, I can't really say, and not, I can't really say enough about it. like the um. I can talk about it for hours, you know. But like, yeah, like a lot of it's it's really it's really a beautiful it's really a beautiful story. Yeah. And uh, I can't say enough about Takashi Shimura too, because you, you know I like we talk about Mifune all the time as as uh, Kurosawa's guy, but this dude's this dude's in every one of those fucking yep. god tier movies as well. So. Yeah. And him seeing him in the in the main character as the main character in this in this movie is like, dude. I like how Kurosawa find those talented dudes, man. Kurosawa has casted him as sort of the same character in three separate movies, but they're all different. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yep. You have you have a, a wizened, cynical police detective, a uh, a smart, capable samurai, and a sad you know, include an inclusive human being, but they're all kind of older gentlemen and they all kind of have this wisdom to them. Um, Fascinating shit and just incredible storytelling, incredible acting. This is an easy marry. Easy, 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 marry. It's um, uh, if I can close the book on it here, I do just want to say that I do think Akira, I think I told you this before, Chris, but I really do think Akira is my favorite of his films. I think that the social commentary in this movie is on point. It makes a very easy case for damning the respectable classes of 1950s Japan as being yes. cruel and aloof. Yeah. The lower classes, uh, you know, the girl who laughs, uh, Toyo Onomura, and uh, I think oh, his Tim, character's name is just the novelist. That is a constant theme throughout all. Oh, of abso- absolutely! Every last one, yeah. of them, man. I mean, he's basing it off of Russian literature, so of course, right? Mm-hmm. But the, the, those two lower class characters are the only ones who are remotely kind to him. I think this movie lacks the spectacle of something like Seven Samurai, and it lacks like the bowstring tight plotting of Yojimbo. But it's the one film of his that I've seen that wears its heart on its sleeve, and as a result, that message rings out extraordinarily clear. 
and that message summarized is life is brief fall in love young maidens yeah and I, it clearly i mean I, when i'm talking about it right now i'm like yeah not as much as i love his other movies man i think this is this is the one for me i i think on a storytelling level it's comparable to rashomon it's just so different and so unique and it is such a a feather in the cap of many feathers that this guy has but it's so it's unique it's an individual product and i think it's a lot different than a lot of the other stuff he's made too i'm just um, not gonna pick a favorite how about that that's fair. can i do that you can do that there's too many good ones <laughs> it's like whatever movie i watch last is is uh is my favorite all right so i'm going to move on um move on to the next film in in our list um the next film i watched was i live in fear uh i personally i saw the title of this movie and i was like i gotta i gotta watch this <laughs> i don't know I don't it's right know. up my alley i it sounded that's a fascinating title um really good in my opinion um yeah, it's directed by kira kurosawa written by shinobu hashimoto kira kurosawa hideo Guni. you know the, the guys the crank uh, the bros the <laughs> krang is in there <laughs> the krang jar with just a brain in it i God, he's he's so important to the plotting, and he's so unique the way he plots these things. Apparently, like I I, I talked about this on the last podcast, him, but Aguni was the guy that if they painted themselves into a corner in the plot, he would know the way to get them out. He would know the thing to do, the character move, the plot device. To it's kind of cool that he has a he has a guy. Yeah, right. He has a dude. He has a dude he can count on for that kind of thing. I I, yeah, I feel like everybody needs a guy. Everybody right. needs a guy. Very, Especially uh, somebody like him, you would think that he wouldn't want anybody else's help with anything as well. You know, it's well, good pretty, for him to have a guy. He was pretty hard on Aguni, and like I said, and he would rip up pages in front of him that he wrote. Oh, it's crazy. <laughs> so it's pretty pretty brutal. But I mean, he got what he wanted out of the guy. Unfortunately, <laughs> he looked he looked uh, worse for wear. Um, I live in fear was the last film scored by composer Fumio. Hayasaki, Hayasaka, before his death by tuberculosis. Um, this is the uh, composer of Seven Samurai. Uh, oh, man, the goat. The, the goat. goat OST, <laughs> Seven Samurai. He died, he died uh, young, and it, man, like, I think... That sucks, man. Kurosawa was, like, always just sad. That was a big point of, of sadness for him. Because he said he changed the way he looked at music in film. You know, like, this guy was so good and so prolific. Um, so this film, just to, to preference, uh, to get the synopsis of the movie, it's about an older man, uh, who owns a foundry in Tokyo, who is absolutely terrified that the Americans will drop more nukes on Japan, that they will wipe Japan off the face of the earth. And his idea is to sell everything, sells house, sells foundries, factories, job, everything, and move to Brazil. And not only is he taking his family, but he's taking his two mistresses and both of their, his sons that he had with them. Yeah, his illegitimate children in addition <laughs> to his four legitimate children. Yes. Um, I mean, obviously that's a problem, right? Um, but yeah, it, it comes down to a man so incredibly paranoid about the fear of nuclear weapons, nuclear annihilation. And the whole movie is kind of like a question and answer thing. Like, well... Is he crazy for having that fear? We were, we had two nukes dropped on us. Uh, what makes you think it won't happen again? What makes you think it won't happen all over the world? 
you know that's um, actually so i have seen this one chris i haven't seen it in a very long time mm-hmm. but um that scene is the one that sticks out in my brain when his son is like hey dad there's enough fucking nukes on the planet that nowhere is safe why <laughs> the fuck do you think brazil is going to be okay right. and his reaction to that it's 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 a man falling into insanity really yep. and paranoia um I, I, it has an incredible last shot i yeah not to cut all the way to the end, but it's something I really like. So uh, Mifune, I believe, I can't remember the main character's name, but um, Mifune, who plays the older man in old makeup. They have him all dolled up. Yeah, he was like 37 playing a 70-year-old or something. (laughs) And, you know, he does it really well. He's he's phenomenal. But um, there's a scene at the end where he's been committed and his son goes to see him and they go to, like, the day room and the father looks out and sees the son and he thinks the world is burning so he's just well, like as I, as I recall the doctor right before the sun goes in the doctor tells him oh in order to deal with his paranoid psychosis he's convinced himself he's living on an alien planet <laughs> and so right, when he sees right. the sun he's like oh the atmosphere is on fire yes yes um this is, a, this is a sad one this is a dour one uh it's not end well for anyone it's not laugh a minute like akiru it's not laugh a minute like akiru um, it's not lightweight Lightweight, like you do. Nothing about this is lightweight. Um, yeah, it's just like the insanity that builds up, and they and they builds it up really realistically. You know how I would think somebody who's a paranoid, insane person is goes insane. Um, it's a fascinating story, fascinating character uh, piece, and um, I think the scene that I'll recall and remember forever from this movie is him standing and screaming in front of his burning factory, which he burns down himself. Yep. So he, his, his family will separate, will lose their jobs, will not have a means of income and they will have to go with him. Um, and it's just him burning everything to the ground. And it kind of reminded me, you know, that's what it looked like when they dropped a nuke on, on Tokyo. He's, he's destroying just like the nuke in, in, in Hiroshima. And, uh, you know, that irony is lost on him, obviously, because he's insane. But, um, yeah. Is, but is, a, it, a... is it necessarily fair to call him insane? I mean, clearly, yes, he's actually insane, but he has a really good reason to be super paranoid. You're right. But, you know, it's kind of like the question of, <clears throat> are, are you so paralyzed by death that you don't take a step outside of your house? Like, right. You, you know, there, there, instant death can happen to any of us at any time for any reason. Um, this definitely sounds like a complete like juxtaposition to Ikaru too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, he was like trying to find things to you know awaken his kind of dour life, <laughs> right? As opposed to being just completely petrified. And it, instead of you know creating something that would last and having a legacy and living his life, he bankrupts his whole life, his family's life, and goes further into his own delusion. You know, it's not a happy ending, guys. Um, this was a, I believe this was a 1955 movie. So again, we're talking 10 years after the bombs dropped. He's yeah. covering these topics. I mean, you're right. You know, like there is a level of understandable fear that I think everybody should have. But like, I mean, listen, Tim, Oliver Stone had that 9-11 movie after like six <laughs> months. Okay, <laughs> I can understand why, I, you know, and, you know, it's sort of that thing. Because this has a 75% of Rotten Tomatoes, 76% audience score. It could be um, a scenario in which people thought this came out. It was too timely. Because you know too how soon. that happens. Yeah, it was yeah. too soon. 
you know, like people will make a movie. Like I remember they made a movie about the Iraq war when it was still happening and nobody saw it. Like nobody wants to be reminded of that while they're living through it. Um, so maybe that's why I think a lot of people were soft on this. Um, but a conversation with uh, Fumio about the H-bomb test incident in 1954, I think it was on the Marshall Islands, was the mm-hmm. inspiration for the plot of uh, I Live in Fear. And um, another title for the film was Record of a Living Being, which sounds really weird. <laughs> I don't think that's a good title for this. Glad they went with I Live in Fear. That's a really strong title. Um yeah, but this has both Mifune and Shimimura again. Like it's both, yep. both of them, and Shimimura plays like a dentist who's on the the board of people that's trying to understand if or trying to figure out if uh, Mifune's character should have control over his family's wealth because they all think he's going crazy, and he's the one that kind of like is like, well, maybe he's right. <laughs> he's right to be afraid and be scared, but. Um, yeah, uh, really, really interesting film. I really, I suggest you guys see it. I think it's a solid fuck, though. I don't know if it's a uh, if if it reaches Barry status, if it reaches or Ikaru or or a lot of these other classics. Um, but I really liked it. I thought it was a fascinating film. So the next film uh, we'll move on to is Bad Sleep Well, um, directed by Kurosawa, written by Hideo Oguni. Ichiro Hisada and Akira Kurosawa and uh, Shinobu Hashimoto. Um, this was made in 1960, so it's a five-year jump I took to his next film. Uh, had a budget of 82 million yen, which I'd say is probably around $750,000 now, and uh, a box office of 52 million yen. So not a success. Um, I want to say this is a great movie too. <laughs> It is. Uh, this is one of my favorites. Uh, my mm, third favorite of the modern films. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 yeah, yeah. I'd say that's maybe my second. Actually, um, I go. I personally go Akira High and Low, Bad Sleep Well. Yeah, you know, I, I. The reason I like Bad Sleep Well a little bit more is I think that opening scene. Oh my god! One of my fucking favorites. Fucking incredible. (laughs) Any and you know what, man? They said I. I was reading something about it, and they said like Francis Ford Coppola stole that scene for Godfather, and I was like, holy shit! Yep. Yes. Yes. This is the inspiration for for that Godfather wedding scene, and just that where they wheel in that giant, like elaborate cake with the rose in the window. And it's such like a fuck you to everybody that's there too. Like, oh, what a great fucking scene, man. Uh, and Mifune, man, he is. I think at his m- most handsome. Yes, I was just about to say he is a total smoke show for, throughout this entire movie. Yeah, he is. He is like he is on top of his game, and he's such a powerful force in this movie. I think that was actually something I wanted to call out about this movie is that he is. He has no dialogue. He's the main character, but he has no dialogue for the first half hour of the movie. Um, And he plays so reserved for most of the running time, but he's got a handful of scenes where he gets to pop off. And because he's so quiet through most of it, when he pops off, it's fucking terrifying. And it's fucking good. He has so much rage in him in this movie. You could see him just like it's boiling over inside of him. 
Um, and there's this great, the great scene at the wedding where the, his, the brother stands up. The, the point, the plot of the movie is, um, it's Phil Noir Hamlet. It's basically Phil Noir Hamlet where, uh, a man was wronged. His father was murdered and made it look like a suicide. He ends up marrying into a family in which he can enact his revenge on the father of the bride. Um, and you know, it's this huge elaborate scheme that he's been planning. It's just pure revenge lust. And, you know, there's that great scene at the wedding where the brother of the bride stands up and he's like, you do anything to her and I'm going to fucking kill you. And in front of all these people and they just stop. And he looks at him like acknowledging, like, I respect him. (laughs) (laughs) I respect that kind of uh, intensity, you know. But it's all that like patented Toshiro Mifune eye acting where he doesn't like it's just in his eyes. You're like, yeah, you know what? I'm cool with you. Yeah, and you know, you find out too that like, you think that he married her just to get closer to the father and to, you know, eventually kill him or enact revenge on him. But he ends up falling in love with her, you know? She's this disabled woman who uh, who's like can barely kind of take care of herself. You know, she's got some problems. She's got some issues. And he just is kind of like a protector uh, deep down. And it, and it really fits him, the relationship. And I feel like, you know, you look at it from the outside, he's like, oh, he's just playing her. He's playing the whole family. No, he really, he really cares about her. And he's a good person, like morally, like he stands up for himself. He's tough. You know, he takes responsibility for himself. And that's why the end of this movie is a kick in the fucking pants. Oh my God. (laughs) And that's kind of why I like it so much, to be perfectly honest. Because you have this guy who's like everything planned out. He's getting there. He's going to enact his revenge. And then off screen, he is poisoned. Well, he's made drunk. They made him drink. And he is involved in a car accident and dies. So they planned it. His father and the rest of the corporate uh, evil that is in this film basically made his death look like an accident. And it happened off screen. You don't even see it. Not just him, but it's him and his two like accomplices that he recruited <laughs> to help bring down the evil company too. Exactly. They they roofie they roofie him and his friends and put them in a car and like drive it into a fucking like overpass yeah. or whatever. Yeah, and, and and like the fact that the end of the movie is about the father, the owner of the company, who did all these dastardly things, and he's alive but not well. You know, like he, I, I my favorite scene in this is he's calling the, his boss and he's like, "Can I retire?" You know, I don't know if I could go on vacation. You can't retire. Go on vacation. You'll be fine. Like (laughs) you kill all these people. You ruin your, your daughter's, you know, uh, relationship. Right. Because the, the brother and the, uh, the, the daughter both denounce their father as a result of this, like this, this car accident, because they know what's up. He lied to his daughter. He lied and tricked his daughter into thinking that he, he he was going to see Shimura, but he was just killing him. Or not Shimura. Uh, what's his name? Uh, Nishi. Nishi. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, Nishi turned the guy's kids against him before he died. And I guess that's like the Pyrrhic victory of uh, yeah. Toshiro Mifune's character here is that he did destroy this guy in a way, just not the way he wanted to. It's still like, it's a downer, man. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> like, it's brutal. It's brutal. It's brutal in the way all the best film noirs are. Yeah. Yeah. The, I, you, you know, know you kind of know going in, there isn't going to be a happy ending here, but you still kind of hope for it anyway. Yeah, and there's this, like, meat grinder that just chews people up and never 
faces any responsibility for its actions and that's just life you know life's a meat grinder you get thrown into it that's the way it is for for bigger and better people you know quote unquote uh more important people power always wins you know uh yeah this is this is a rough one this is a sad ending it's and very I, chinatown in that way and that very, you know, no matter no matter what the hero attempted to do there was no way he would actually win I like the bold move of killing him off screen too. Yeah, I, I agree. Really neat, and it's different. And I didn't expect it. Like it was a shock to me. <laughs> like I was like, "Holy shit, damn! You did this shit back then. You guys don't pull any punches. Love it." Um, so this uh, Toho Studios this is some facts about this film. Toho Studios grew frustrated with Kurosawa going over budget during the filming of The Hidden Fortress. And in response, Kurosawa uh, decided to form his own film company, Kurosawa Productions, in 1959. So this was the first film financed by Kurosawa. This is, so this is his first independent feature, then? First independent feature. Um, oh, he and, fucking nailed it. Oh, yeah, dude. This is a, a fucking classic. Rotten Tomatoes, 100% on Rotten Tomatoes. Audience really? 90, 92%. I totally understand that. Fascinating man, hundred. So we don't have to. We don't have to fucking hunt anybody now. <laughs> no, not yet. There might be somebody out there waiting to give this a bad review. Maybe Devin. He's on Rotten Tomatoes. Devin. Um, yeah, typing it up as we tomorrow. speak. <laughs> the idea for a bad sleep well came from Kurosawa's nephew Yoshio Inoni, whose story called "Bad Men's Prosperity" was used as an inspiration. Which, of course. It's also probably a adaptation of Hamlet, but you know there's some there's some changes here which I find really interesting. Um, uh, Kokio Kur- Kurigawa plays Nishi's disabled wife, Yoshiko, uh, who in a driving scene suffered injuries to her face. Heartbroken that her career was over, Mifune stood guard at her hospital door to keep the press out. I just want to point that out because I really like this guy. <laughs> He's a really cool dude. Mm. This Mifune character, uh, but yeah, Love he literally, him. yeah, really, really cool individual. Uh, the more I read about him, the more I like him very much. Um, yeah, this is this is a great movie. Um, definitely suggest it, and it's really interesting. Like I said, they they really play around with plot in this and do some interesting things. So great movie um now i move on to high and low which is tim's second favorite, second favorite. yeah I, I love this movie um high and low is of course a great movie um as well uh directed by kira corsell of course written by Rizuko kigushima uh hideo aguni and ijiro hisada um this has a rotten tomato score of 96 percent audience score of 95 percent uh, a budget of 230 million yen. I, this might be one of his bigger budgeted movies next to the next one we talk about. Um, and the box office was 460 million yen. So it's made some good good deal of money back for And this was produced by Kurosawa. So he's this is all his. This is all his money coming in. Um, the film foregrounds the modern infrastructure of the economic miracle years and the run-up to the 1964 Tokyo Olympics including rapid rail lines and the proliferation of personal automobiles. This is a perfectly set film you know, for the time. Like it's the right time, the right place to make this type of movie. Um, and of course the movie surrounds a kidnapping of, well, we think, and the main character thinks 
a kidnapping of a high and uh, owner of a uh, women's shoe factory. He's so in a way, this movie kind of right. inspired Jumanji, right? Because we have <laughs> we have the owner of a shoe factory getting into some hijinks with their kid. <laughs> um, you know, they do focus a little bit more on owning the place because a big part of the plot <laughs> is uh, Mifune's character trying to consolidate stock. So can you can remind me what Toshiro Mifune's character's name is? Because I, it's fucking amazing. It's Kingo Gondo. Kingo Gondo. That's a that's sick right. name. <laughs> Kingo Gondo. Um, yeah, so he's trying to consolidate shares of a company because he sees these fucking jackals at the door for his company that he, you know, has a lot of respect in wanting to make the products, the sh- women's shoes cheaper, cheaper quality and shittier. And he gets upset about that, rightfully so. And he decides to buy a shitload of stock. But in the process of buying the stock to take full ownership of the company, he uh, is faced with a kidnapping. Now, the kidnapper tried to kidnap Gondo's kid, but incidentally, Gondo's kid was wearing the same outfit, or, or not Gondo's kid, uh, his friend, who is the son of his driver, Gondo's driver, is wearing the same outfit as his son was, and the kidnapper accidentally took the driver's kid instead. And there's this really interesting scene where Gondo, you know, thinks it's his kid first. And he's like, oh, I'll find the money. I'll find the money for the ransom because this guy wants something like 10 million or no, 30 million yen. And then when he finds out it's the driver's kid, he's like, I can't do this. I can't give you this money. This That's like the money. interesting sort of moral question at the heart of the film, though, right? Like right. He, he, he is so... Our introduction to this character is that he is so convinced that he is like the one moral person living in Japan. He's the last one. He's so full of himself in that he's like, I always do the right thing. That's why I'm going to mortgage my house so that I can buy this company to make sure I keep doing the right thing. I don't want to make shittier shoes. I want to keep making modern shoes, but I want them to be the same high quality we've always done. So he mortgages his fucking house for this. And before he can buy it, before he can buy out the company, he's like, oh shit, my son got kidnapped. He sees his son run in and he's like, okay, this is a joke, right? This is some kind of prank. Mm -hmm. And then they find out that actually, no, your chauffeur's son has been kidnapped instead. And he's like, well, fuck, what do I do now? Because I can't financially ruin my own life and family for someone else's kid, can I? And there's a long sort of protracted struggle with that before he finally comes down on the side of, I will not do this. Mm-hmm. And there's a wonderful scene with the most intense shower I've ever seen in my entire life. Because Mifune is taking a shower and the water is just like at full pressure. Like the fucking elephant. They uh, show uh, they show nip? He's he's well they they, they shoot it like really. They show hog too. They show hog. They show hog. Double X film stock. It is the most intense shower I've ever seen in my life, and Fuck. he comes out of it eventually, falling on the side to help the driver to give him the money, and you know he's it's it's it was such a struggle. It was a moralistic struggle, like like Tim was saying, um, and you know it's hard to always do the right thing, right? The right thing has a price a lot of times. And he wasn't willing to pay it. And then he realized that it truly is the right thing to help his driver. And then there's this just wonderful, wonderful scene where they're dropping off the money on the train. 
and the way that is done is so it's so unique and ingenious i know it was a goonie who came up with that i know i, I could feel it in my bones because <laughs> he always figures out the cool little like intricacies of everything that goes on in the plot um but it, it revolves basically dropping money out of a train in which the kidnappers pick up the money uh, while the train is still speeding along going to the next stop and then they release the kid but then uh, the film sort of revolves around a police procedural where they're trying to find the kidnapper and the money, of course. And all, all the while, Gondo is losing all power over his company. He's kind of falling into depression. You know, he doesn't know what to do next. And, you know, there's this wonderful scene because it is like almost half procedural, police procedural. But it has one of my favorite reaction scenes in any... Uh, Kurosawa movie and it's the basically all every police precinct in Tokyo is trying to figure out where this money is where the kidnapper is and it's all these detectives sitting in a room and it's really hot just like in uh, Stray Dogs everybody's sweating their asses off they got these little fans they're waving in front of their faces but all two detectives stand up and they actually give out like a meaningful lead you know they, they figure something out about the car that the kidnapper's driving and every face, there must be 60, 70 people in this room. Every face in the room just turns to them. And their mouths are wide open like, oh, holy shit, we got something. Like, it's such a human, unique, emotional response out of 70 people in one room. Fascinating how that was done. I'm blown away by the complexity of that. Um, it, it, this is a lovely movie. It really is. And it's, it's I think it's... It's uh, Kurosawa really at the top of his game when it comes to visual storytelling. There's a lot of great visuals in this. Um, as Tim, you can attest to. My, yeah, I think my favorite example is the the final scene. Okay, but I, I don't want to jump there yet. Well, like I think the whole the, the kidnapper looks his look is so unique. Like with those those mirror glasses that he's wearing. Oh my god, that oh, one shot when he pops up out of the bush in the mirror. Dude, sunglasses. it's so good! It's uh, so fucking good. <laughs> oh my god. I was just gonna bring that up, man. Like that that visual that stuck to my bones, man. That yep. So cool. Um Yeah, and he's he's so and they do the same thing they did in um in Stray Dogs, where there's like a physical thing that they're looking for. Like in Stray Dog, they're looking for a suspect who's covered in mud. Because he was out in the fields, I think. I, I can't remember the, yep. the specifics. But in this one, uh, they're looking for a man with a bandaged hand. They're looking for somebody with a cut on their hand. And they see one, because he's a doctor, they go into a hospital and they and they have a stakeout. And they wait for him. And they see a man with this giant gash on his hand. And that's like the, the visual indicator. You know what I mean? And then, of course, that the gash on the hand switches to... The, the glasses, the reflective glasses. Like, you could point them out in a room of people because of those those glasses. Like, it's so unique visually. Um, that's, that's incredible visual storytelling, you know? It's, it's stuff that people have forgotten nowadays. <laughs> you know? It's kind of sad. Um, but yeah, uh, there's a few facts about this. The film foregrounds the modern... Oh, I already said that. Kurosawa on why he made High and Low. To say all this is not, I hope, to discourage readers from seeing this film, very much the reverse. Two hours and 23 minutes of fine entertainment are not a commonplace achievement. Also, 
From the opening frame to the last, Kurosawa never makes the smallest misstep nor permits it in anyone else. This is a tight movie. Tight as shit. Uh, the plotting is perfect. You know? It's razor cut, man. It's, it really isn't an ounce of fat on it either. Every scene it serves to advance the story in one way or another. And, you know, all the little visual ticks, like the detective sitting in the car looking for the suspect, and they're in the car in front of them, there's just people walking, just tons of people. And it's like looking for a, a needle in a haystack, you know, looking for this this kidnapper because there's so many fucking people around this car. Um, so cool. So visual storytelling at its best. Really, really good stuff. Um, but, yeah, I think that's about it for that. Well, we should uh, talk about the last scene, right? The last scene oh, is, yeah. like, in my, in my opinion, one of Kurosawa's, like, greatest achievements. Um, sure. The medical intern, the doctor who orchestrated the kidnapping, is captured and um, convicted for the wrongful deaths of his oh, two accomplices yes. because he yes. poisoned them. He gave them uncut heroin in a lethal dose. And, uh, you know, so now he's on death row for that. Mm-hmm. And he ignores the, he, he like, he refuses to see the chaplain. He refuses to hear any last rites. The o- his only, like, dying wish is to sit face-to-face with Toshiro Mifune's character. Gondo, yeah. Um, and... So we don't really get like, there's not like a great lead into that either. It's not like there's a, a scene establishing this. We just kind of cut to Toshiro Mifune kind of sitting on one half of, you know, the plexiglass that separates him from the prisoner and they drag the prisoner in. And it's the first time they're meeting face to face and they have this really interesting conversation where the kidnapper tries to, he, he starts kind of explaining why he did the things that he did specifically to Toshiro Mifune's character, but then stops himself, which I think is like a really interesting thing. It's almost like if a villain was monologuing in, you know, any other movie and they said, and they actually, had, you know what? They had the you least. Don't, you, you don't deserve to know that actually. Self-awareness to stop. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. he, start, he starts himself going and then stops. And there's this beautiful exchange where Toshiro Mifune is like, why do you think you and I should hate each other? And the, the kidnapper who is now like literally about to die minutes after this says, uh, you know, I'm not interested in self-analysis. Fuck I know Lord. that I, I Fuck live your closure. In, yeah. I <laughs> live in a room where it was so cold in the winter and so hot in the summer, I could never sleep and I could see your house from my window. And that's when I started hating you. And that's been. pretty much how the movie ends. <laughs> like <laughs> the killer has, uh, the killer starts to have like um, pathological shakes, and he's trying to act like it's not his fear of death, but it's yeah, rather he's be a executed. result of yeah, it's, it's rather a result of being in solitary confinement. He's like, if you take me out of my room, I shake now. It's not because I'm afraid. I don't want you to. I couldn't die. I could not die letting you think that I was like shaking and crying. It, something he says to uh, to Kingo Gondo. but he does kind of flip out there. Yeah, he loses it completely, and right. that's when the movie ends. The officers come in and drag him out, and the big metal shield drops between um, the, pe- the plexiglass panes, and then it just flashes to the end. And that's Kurt pretty Sala much is, It's so good. Kurosawa is kind of brutal with his endings, man. He really he, is. He's just cut. You're done. It's over. <laughs> there is no more story. Please leave. Yeah. I really I respect that. I really do. Uh, a lot of truth in that, you know? But yeah, uh, fantastic film. Yep, I, I really absolutely falls in line with his like Russian literature, high class, low class. Yeah. Um, 
I really like this one quote from a review I was reading, but now I just lost the page, so never mind. I'm not going to read it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm sure it was great. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this one, too. This is an easy marry. Easy marry. Um, For sure. On, on, on the list here. If it wasn't a marry, I was going to be very mad at you. Yeah, no. Fucking great. Uh, <laughs> all right, so we move on to the last film that I have to talk about, which is uh, one of the last films that Kurosawa ever directed. And that is Dreams. Um, now, this film is a little interesting because, of course, it's directed by Akira Kurosawa, but it's, it's just him writing it. It's just Akira Kurosawa as the writer. Um, and it's different in a lot of ways. It's a, uh, a series of vignettes, five separate short stories. Some of them are completely, you would never expect Kurosawa to ever make, you know, Um one in particular that I remember, I think it's Sunshine Through the Rain. This is a very Kurosawa-esque story. But it's actually, uh, Kurosawa had them built a near replica of his childhood home. And he also showed the actress playing the mother in that in that short pictures of his mother to get into character. So he created this little short, basically, of his young adult life in uh, in Japan. Um, really personal story. Um, seems slightly out of place with the rest, too. This one is is very different than the others. Um, this was very, very much later in his career, right? Very much, very much. And I feel like he's... He, these are very unique, separate stories that I don't think he was ever able to tell anywhere else. And I feel like towards the end of his career, he was given a lot more leeway. So he kind of just said, I'll make what I, whatever I want at this point. And um, it shows of that. It shows of somebody who's just like, I have these interesting little stories that I could never make into full features. And I have a five shorts. Here you go. It seems like fun. Um, so there's, yeah, like the five shorts. There is uh, Sunshine Through the Rain. There's The Blizzard. Uh, the Blizzard is a harrowing story of four, or I think it was four, yeah, four mountain climbers that are stuck on a, on a mountain during a terrible blizzard. And they're all slowly succumbing to hypothermia until a demon woman <laughs> comes to one of them. And he sees her, and uh, he's in his last moments, and instead of giving in to her embrace, which is, you know, the cold, uh, he decides to stand up, you know, and to shake the cold off and to save his friends. And he brings them back to camp. And apparently this was based off of some things in Akira Kurosawa's life because he was an avid mountain climber. Uh, he, I, I couldn't believe that when I read it, but... <laughs> That's thought, wild. It is really weird, right? <laughs> he really enjoyed it. And it's like the worst thing that could possibly happen to a mountain climber is basically the blizzard um interesting flick um a little too long i would say and but i i really enjoyed it very very harrowing um and then we move on to uh the crow and this is interesting only in that it's a movie entirely about vincent van gogh and uh martin scorsese plays vincent van gogh in the when you told me Perfect that, judgment. I was like, well, I guess I have to see this one for sure now. <laughs> Dude, it's something else. I mean, he's like, um, you only see him for about five minutes, but then there's this great scene afterwards where 
the main character of the film is walking through the actual like sets and scenes from Vincent van Gogh paintings. And he eventually starts walking into the paintings and walking around the Vincent van Gogh paintings and all of the special effects for the scene, the, the keying out and the green screen was done by I, I, uh, uh, was it ILM. Industrial ILM. Light Magic. Industrial Light yeah, Magic. Well, this, was, Lucas. this was the one, this was one of those movies that he had trouble financing, right? And so he had to like get Spielberg to help. Yes, yes. He had Spielberg and George Lucas helping him out and financing. It's crazy movie. that he was still, he was making movies that sound this. I mean, I haven't seen this one yet, but it sounds incredibly challenging to have been to make. Hmm. And he was doing this in 1990. He must have been very late in his life at that point, right? Yes. Yeah, it's definitely a bold move to take on uh, that when you're older. There's something so complex. But man, uh, it's gorgeous. You know, some of these scenes are so, are, are literally like ripped from Van Gogh paintings and they're just mind-bogglingly beautiful. The color in this short is Kurosawa, like, once they allowed him to shoot in color, like he went fucking nuts. Like, everything, <laughs> every color is bright and like alive and beautiful. And you've seen, you've seen Ron, right? Yeah, dude. No, I, Ron, that's Ron is maybe the best use of color I've ever seen in a movie. It's incredible. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a rainbow of beauty of just all, all every color you could think of, you know, in the spectrum. Um, and this film is like that. I think Ron is obviously a masterpiece. This is a little different. This is a personal story, but someone who really enjoys Vincent van Gogh. Um, yeah, very good. Visually. I, I suggest watching it. It's a little silly when he's walking through the van Gogh paintings, but you know, I let it go. Cause it's, it's van Gogh. It's beautiful paintings. You know, um, the next film I like to talk about is the tunnel or at least the short in this. And in the tunnel, uh, the story is a, uh, it looks like a post-apocalyptic world. At least that's the way I can gather from it. Um, about a, a army captain walking through a dark tunnel. And then as he gets to the end, um, all of the dead soldiers that he has brought into battle that have died start coming out of the tunnel and talking to him. Um, they're not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to do that. And they look like zombies. They got blue skin and black eyes they look like night of the living dead zombies. oh they got the, the <laughs> dawn <laughs> yeah. of the dead yeah dawn of the dead <laughs> fucking blue ass skin like that's way more green this is like more blue um but yeah like the really interesting thing that i found out about shooting the scene was as they're coming out of the tunnel it's very dark so what kurosawa did was he put a light on the back of every soldier so that the soldier behind them would be lit as they're coming out of the tunnel and it's gorgeous. It looks beautiful the way it's done. The story is a little overwrought. I think this one could also have been cut down a bit. But it's uh, it's a great little you know uh, 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 you know conversation about war and, and death and about how that's always kind of stuck with us. You know the, the post traumatic stress of of combat. Interesting flick. Uh, interesting little short. Now the last two I'm really in love with because. Kurosawa went like full post-apocalyptic. There's the short called Mount Fuji in Red, where literally the plot is Mount Fuji is exploding. And so are all the, the nuclear power plants. And the world, the sky has turned red. 
and everybody is running and terrified and they're all dying miserably and they start there's only three survivors and one of the survivors is the the man who caused it all the the owner of the various nuclear power plants and he starts describing what each one of the colored gases that are floating around in the in the wasteland what they do to you like he's like that's argon that'll rip through your body cause you to shit out blood you know like and that's red that's the red cloud and they're just describing each one of the clouds and he's like well it's better to just kill yourself at this point <laughs> and he like jumps off a cliff <laughs> it's very dark but kind of funny um uh very interesting flick i've never I, this is the first time i've ever seen kurosawa do like a post-apocalyptic thing um very interesting and then the next film on that is the weeping demon which seems to be like a continuation of the story where people have started turning into demons in the post-apocalyptic world and they're just miserable and sad and but like juxtapose that with the radiation causing the plant life to grow like wildflowers and sunflowers growing gigantic like in in, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2 (laughs) (laughs) There's like giant sunflowers that look like trees. It's gorgeous. It looks really neat. Um, and the special effects are really neat too. Um, but yeah, it's just such an interesting little foray into something that's so, it's very alien to a lot of Kurosawa films. And I, I really liked it. I really thought it was something interesting to watch. Um, this is no. getting a uh, Criterion 4K in August. So ah. I'll be sure to pick that oh. up. Very, very interesting uh, flick. I, I suggest seeing it, you know, just for the once. If you're a Kurosawa head, um, you'd really, really enjoy this. Um, this is a 67% of Ron Tomatoes, which I think is a little low. I, I don't think it's a great movie. I think this is another fuck, but I think it's great in that how different it is from a lot of the other stories that Kurosawa has told. Um, this was, the budget was 1.5 billion yen, which sounds like a lot. But it's not. I think it's somewhere of like fifty million. You know, for nineteen nineties, it's not too bad. Yeah, I mean, I think even lower than that, like twenty million, maybe twenty five. And uh, yeah, really interesting film. And uh, like I like Tim said, this was made in nineteen ninety, has a runtime of one hundred nineteen minutes. And I think with that, uh, that about sums it up for for Kira Kurosawa films. Now I watched uh, fifteen, I think, of his. 30 or so films. I'm not going to stop watching them after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to watch every last one of these fuckers. Um, they're all fascinating I, in their own right. I just imagine somebody just trying to like be like, Chris, you can't. You just try and stop yeah, me. You stop. You try and stop me. You try and keep me from it's watching. Like, no, no, nobody, <laughs> care, nobody cares, man. <laughs> keep... I don't well, shit to prove to anybody. Everybody thinks that, like, you know, after I'm done one of these things, I just throw all the DVDs out into a dumpster. I, well, that's what I thought. You did, you did say, I'm going to throw all these Police Academy DVDs into the dumpster when you well, did do that. that. Do you blame me? I kept, I, I kept Citizens on Patrol, okay? Oh, that's okay. a big, that's, big move, that's big four, move. That's number four, if I'm not mistaken, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, okay. that, one, that one's really good, you know. <laughs> Only took him four tries. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah. Chris, just a quick question. Sure. 
of all of the series you have done, of all of the directors you or, or series that you have covered on Galani and Chill, where does Kurosawa rank in terms of your favorites to have actually covered or in terms of like your overall hierarchy? So the two that, the three that spring to mind for me, the three that really lasted the longest would be Kurosawa, Bergman, and Lars von Trier. Those are the ones that really stuck to me, and I'm like kind of in awe after watching all of them, and totally more, way more respect for those directors than I did before after watching those. So it's in the top three. Um, I think I, I would put him in two. I actually okay. would put Lars von Trier at one. I was I I figured that would be the case because you're definitely a sicko. I'm a disturbing, <laughs> you're a huge sicko, <laughs> disgusting human being, and I enjoy pain and torment and darkness and violence. And uh, Nymphomaniac is, is one of my favorite movies now because of watching all of them. But all that being said, these like Kiru, Seven Samurai, Rashomon. I don't, they're perfect movies, you know, like, and I would completely understand somebody saying that Kurosawa obviously is a better director than Lars von Trier, but we're talking about personal taste, right? And the things that I'm, are like tattooed in my brain, but those top three, man, those are the, those are the kings. Those are the, the three heads on Mount, on my Mount Rushmore. Mm. The fourth head is just you. <laughs> that's a fun head to have on that wall me absolutely lars von trier's head like that would be the <laughs> but he looks like he's kind of into it a little bit of course he is <laughs> he's a sicko um yeah but uh as far as my favorite curacao movie oof. i gotta say i think it's still yojimbo just because like I watch I watch some anime, and I watch so many other things that are so inspired by Yojimbo, the character of Sanjuro specifically. Like nice. I, I was looking at like you guys put up a concept art from Street Fighter Six, and I saw Ryu with his fucking hands in his gi, and I was like, "What? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, what, dude? Like that is the samurai, like." Yeah. Like I, I, I'm not going to be mad at you for picking Yojimbo. Like you're probably right, but you could pick any of the films that any of his quote-unquote masterpieces, and you would be right that this is his best movie for sure. Ikaro, Bad Sleep Well, Rashomon, Seven Samurai, all the Ran, all, all most of the movies I've watched are instant masterpieces. They're just perfect movies. But you know, personal preference, right? That's mm. really what it all boils down to at the very end. And I have my biases like anybody else. Man, do I love a stoic hero that is sick of his shit and is just making jokes about everybody. Like, that just that is my favorite character archetype. <laughs> you know? I mean, like, it extends down to, like, you know, Indiana Jones and, like, you know, more modern, yep. like, film, like, heroes where it's just, like, the older, like you said, sick of this shit, like, hero or, or anti. He's over it, you know, like, yeah. it's just, it's just somebody who, is seen this so many times and so mm. just finds the humor in it, you know? Yeah. And his eye for like, you know, Mifune, like, especially like so early on, like he's like, yeah, that that's my guy. Like, 
it's so clear that he adores Mifune's face and he knows exactly how to use it as a tool to convey important story beats without dialogue. Yes. And he, I feel like a lot of his uh, his best movies work specifically on that relationship between the camera and Mifune's face. Yeah, and like beyond that, it's just like it's it's a, it's impressive that like he just like he he kept the people that like made those movies because he knew they made those movies yeah and it's a shame that like he did have to like lose some of them uh but like the thing is it's just like you know he stuck he stuck with those people and he, he made so many masterpieces it's it's the sounding frankly and and the krang of it all you know the, the pdo <laughs> pdo goonie krang, yes i i have to say i i after watching all these i have so much respect for that guy like i feel like he was really like the guy who figured out the little weird problems that come up when you write a script mm-hmm. and he figured out how to get around them with the logic of the movie and it makes sense and the plotting is so unique i feel like that's a lot of that is him and i i i didn't know that going into this i didn't know who that guy was and you know now i have so much respect for him as a storyteller he's incredible yeah. you know um but yeah it's like it's like putting all the best aspects together to make a masterpiece. It's mm-hmm. great writing, great directing, great acting. Um, yeah, Every obviously. movie is like an all-star, like an all-star yeah. team. Yeah. It's the nineties bulls, man. They're all together. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> They're all functioning at peak performance to make movies. It always comes work. back to the nineties bulls with you too. Well, oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's the dream team. You're, you're right. Tim. It's the dream Thank team you. USA olympic team uh yeah you're right you know there's there's so much talent behind and in front of the camera in all these movies no i believe um john had asked that you rank you got an mfk yeah you you got an mfk the the shakespeare Shakespeare adaptations please (laughs) okay okay all right so what do we got we got uh let me clarify here we got the bad sleep well bad sleep well uh Rash, not Rashman. Um, it's going to be Bed, Sleep Well, Ron, Ron, and Throne of Blood slash Spiderweb Castle. Marry Ron. Fuck Throne of Blood. Kill. Kill high and low. No, uh, Bed, Sleep Well. Not what I expected. Wow, Chris. Fucking asshole. Okay. <laughs> not what I expected, to be perfectly honest, but I do agree with you. I think Ran, Ran is. I love King Lear. I'm a bit. That's also same. Biased. Same, absolutely. I mean, I'm. I mean, I would personally rank Macbeth over King Lear, but I think Ron is just. It's an incredible achievement. I, I agree with you, Tim. I think I like Macbeth more than Ron, but like Ron, I think is better movie. I, in my opinion, were there it's, any other good King Lear adaptations before or no? That's the thing. Like that's not not to that level. In my experience like Macbeth's got tons of adaptations which kind of like because I'm I actually I love the Roman Polanski Macbeth I fucking love that movie so yeah I love that one too Um, but I just I love Throne of Blood more I yeah (laughs) I I totally understand that like that's it's uh yeah I'm not gonna fucking call you a Neanderthal for for (laughs) liking Roman Polanski's more you know well you know it's it's preference that's the first one I've watched because that that's the one that they showed us in high school when we when we did Macbeth 
to brutal. So I was like super fucking like, whoa, what is this new world of fucking craziness? You know, you know why I think I, I stuck with that that stuck with me more is because of the history of the actual of Roman Polanski before the movie mm. made. Like, yeah, okay. It's probably in his darkest he's ever been. And man, does it show in that event. Like it is a dark, violent movie. And like Tim said, I'm a sicko. So <laughs> I, <laughs> what can I say? I like seeing the product of somebody's despair. You know, what's wrong with that, guys? Is that come on, what's wrong with that? Come on, Devin. Come on, Devin. What are you like the products of despair, Devin? You say that all the time. <laughs> well, it's because I just watch the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pro- of course it's a product of despair. He's gonna tear their skin off, you know? Jesus wept. Yeah. So, um yeah, uh that's an interesting thing, but I, I really I'm I committed to that rating for those three movies. I, I really Like I said, um it's not what I expected, but I do agree with you. I I think you are correct in that ranking. Yeah, you know, and and uh it's it's I love all of these movies too. I just I would like to say that. I really do. I, I would watch any of these movies again multiple times. They're just perfectly made, and they just make me love movies. You know, they make, they reinforce my passion for film. How much I love it to death. Um, yeah, so that's the uh, closing the book on the Kurosawa, Kalani and Chills. Two parter. Yeah. So what's uh? Did you decide? I know you had a couple of options for the next one. So this is what I'm going to do. This is okay. What I'm since we got a, a subpar Indiana Jones movie coming out. So, <laughs> um, I'm going to try to finish, because it's only four movies. I'll finish that, and we can probably do another Galani and Chill with, like, in two weeks. And then just do the Indiana. Because the new one com- comes out on the 30th, right? I think so. You'd probably be able to put that movie in there. That's what I'm thinking, right? Maybe mm-hmm. I'll, get, I'll get that one as well. And, you know, I love Indiana Jones, so I have no problem. Unless you if you want to do hard mode, Chris. What's hard mode? You got to watch the young Indiana Jones movies. I'm not watching the young Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> you got to watch them. Harrison Ford has a beard in one of them, and he plays Chris. a saxophone to death. <laughs> have you seen all these movies? Do you want to talk about them, Steve? It seems like you have. Uh, Harrison Whoa. Ford plays the saxophone and causes an avalanche and kills a bunch of people. It, That's that all is, I remember. All, is that all you got? Is that all That's you all got I about? got. At some points he plays, there's an old man that's very clumsy and he has an eye patch. I'll tell you though, Steve, after this, I like the idea of the airplane movies. Oh, wait. Now, when you say airplane movies, you mean movies that are featuring air that planes? feature air, airplanes as the, the core setting of the movie. I think you need to do one in every genre. Okay. So it'll be like a drama on an airplane, an action movie on an airplane. Like you could do Air Force One. You could do. Uh, uh, what was, I'm sorry. Uh, what would be a drama? Yeah, I'm <laughs> to think uh, flight with uh, Jodie Foster, right? Flight. Well, there you that go. Kind of a suspense thriller. Or am I wrong? Yeah, it's yeah a like I, I think thriller. Like, like you got like Red Eye, right? That's a thriller. That's if a I remember movie. correctly, the the plot of Flight is that what if Jodie Foster saw a brown person on her plane after 9/11? <laughs> Is that really the plot? I think, holy, I think that's basically it. Holy shit, I had no idea. Um, well, it's not, it's not good. Don't revisit it. Well, I have to, Tim. That's the rules. <laughs> or you can pick a different movie, because, you know, there's plenty of flight movies, I'm sure. 
Well, we uh, I I threw Sully out because that does not take. Place. You threw Sully out, but <laughs> the birds. You sick that, bastard. That doesn't take place. Like I said, something like eighty-five percent or ninety percent of the film has to take place on the plane. There can't be. There'll be a lot of plane and going not even, on. Not right? even airport, right? Uh, uh, oh wait, okay. Correct myself that that movie is flight plan. Yeah, yeah. I'm just watching. I'm correcting myself before I get roasted. You got, you got, uh, you got Mulholland Falls. No, it doesn't look like it takes place on a plane. What about Uh, um, nonstop? Oh, nonstop. No, that's an action movie. That's not a drama movie. Well, I know Uh, Passenger was it 57. That's going to be on there somewhere. The Wesley Snipes movie. Uh, (laughs) What's that about? Great movie. That's that's an action movie. 100%. 100%. You know what? I don't know. I, I think ma- keeping yourself to genres might be a bit tough. Yeah, it's going to be tough. I, I feel like uh, most of it is action with like a few horror thriller. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On a plane. Yeah. 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 Place on a plane. That's just about someone who flies a plane. It's about a crazy man and pees in jugs, Tim. Jug that's pier. The, that's <laughs> that's not, what they should have called that movie. Not yeah. aviator. <laughs> that's not that does not work. Um, <laughs> yeah, really got me for some reason. Yeah, so uh, I'm gonna make some some goonball movies for the next couple making, months. You're always making goonball movies, but uh, <laughs> but, so the ne- the next one though that's gonna be Indiana, Indiana. Indiana why Jones. they say it like that? Indiana, Indiana. 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 Go. We Let named the dog Indiana. Spoiler. Indiana. <laughs> Let go. Are you uh let it go in the I did go in the Are you excited for you to just make mm, two kills? Two kills on this list? Yeah, of course. Probably yeah, three with this next one coming out. Oh no, two, two. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh I was going to say, oh, what's that mystery kill, Chris? I thought you were throwing in Temple of Doom there without the new one. So I was like, well, that's interesting. I don't think that's yeah. a kill. I don't think you know that's a kill. I no, I mean, I, I hate. I didn't say it. You, it's you, crazy you that there was kills. a time where that was the weakest Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, I mean, innocent. Time. To be fair, to be fair, <laughs> if we're just judging by that, those original three, it's clearly the weakest of the three. Of course, of course. yeah, but like yeah. you know, now, now we're like looking back fondly. We're like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, this movie hasn't aged well culturally, um, but. Uh, it sure actually um, doesn't have a bunch of garbage in it. And you said, I remember, any movie where they eat monkeys' brains is okay in my book. I remember you said that. <laughs> so, that's why you like Clue so much. That is true. <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, there's not even monkeys' brains in that movie. I was just eating monkeys' brains during the movie Clue. All right, I just guys. associate the two. I know it came out of the skull of a monkey, but those brains look really good, right? I'm not going to lie. It looked like ice cream. I yeah. imagine that. Those probably weren't really monkey's brains. And in fact, the what? actor ate <laughs> some sort of delightful treat. I don't believe it. Stop. I'm sorry. I'm movie magic. Steve. Can I tell yeah. you that these Kurosawa films, they're not real. These aren't documentaries. What? Yeah. <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> Did you say I'm leaving? I don't believe, I don't believe it. They said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I should. I should get out of here if that's the case. I thought this was all real. I thought this was some sort of real thing. Wait, all these movies I've been watching aren't real? (laughs) These are documentaries? What's going on here? What am I doing? The Police Academy was not a documentary. I haven't told you. An Ikaru moment where I get my life together. 
go partying. <laughs> then hate it. Buy yourself a new hat. Oh, speaking of which, are you guys going to watch that Bill Nye British version of this? Uh, I'm not. Wait, of what? Of Ikiru. Oh. It's called Living. It came out last year, I what? believe. Bill Nye. It's not the not- science guy. It's the other Bill Nye. Oh, I thought. Oh, uh, Bill, no, Bill Nye. Nye. It's the yeah pirates. I was gonna say, are they allowed man. to do this? <laughs> I don't, I don't think they're allowed to do this. Yeah, it was just oh, Bill Nye giving you an hour long discussion about how cancer works. I think it's pronounced <laughs> Nye. It's not pronounced Nye. 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 Chris, that's pretty well, Bill Naive of you. <laughs> I I think I'm gonna give it a shot. It's free. <laughs> On uh, Amazon Prime, I'm gonna I'm gonna see it. I'm gonna see what they do. I'd rather use that runtime to watch Akiru again. Yeah, for real. <laughs> being honest, hey man, he got nominated for an Academy Award for it. For this, Bill Nye. For the for the Ikiru remake. Yeah, yes. Man. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> Sorry, but gross. I like to think it, it's probably oh, he magnificent gonna... seventh Ikiru. It so he gets a. It's just I mean, about I, a. Cow, I, I, it's about a cowboy who has stomach cancer. Oh no! <laughs> I can't get it. It's You gotta go to this other cowboy to get that thing built. No, you gotta go to the other cowboy. And he goes, "I'm gonna go cowboy fix his cowboy problem," and then he's dead in the middle of it. I watched I the saddest believe, cowboy movie. He built a rodeo. Kurosawa got a, uh, a writing credit on the Bill Nighy movie. So. Wait, who? Kurosawa. Oh, thank God oh. they gave him a writing credit. I believe, yeah. Did they give a Goonie a writing credit? Because he wrote that too. No. Yeah, did they give Krang, Krang the writing <laughs> no. credit? I did the plot. Then you gotta Mr. look at that guy. Whenever you get a chance, I did. I did. I already <laughs> looked him up. He's very. He is a bit crang like. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's very unfortunate to be described as crang like. I mean, just, no, but it's just like it's just. I just like the idea of Kurosawa having a brain in a jar that talks to him. <laughs> to be honest, he's kind of Wantanabe. He's probably Wantanabe in real life. That guy. <laughs> oh, no. like he's just not happy. This because he's just <laughs> fucking. Nope. Uh, Hideo Oguni did get a writing credit on Living. Okay, cool, 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 cool. That's great. They all did. Uh, Kurosawa, Hashimoto, and Oguni all got writing credits. That's fair. I'm so is it just like it's just like fucking oh man? Let me, let me shot the shot now. This is Probably fucking shot garbage. Because I've seen I've seen the one this. shot with Bill Nye like underneath, like surrounded by paper. You know, like. If, there, if there's a shot of Bill Nighy on a swing set, I'm going to fucking riot, though. <laughs> so it really is just yeah. Ikiru. No, he builds the English equivalent, which is a pub where the kids can go into and drink. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, but that hat is not as based no, as Watanabe's not. hat. No. I actually looked it up to see if I could find like the kind of hat that he used so I could maybe purchase one. for halloween this year i maybe maybe i will i don't know i don't know it would be sick i'm gonna be assless just look sad all the time every time you (laughs) every time you say something to me my eyebrows get wide and i just get i frown constantly your bottom lip sticks out way too far (laughs) i'm gonna be i'm gonna be mifune in seven samurai my butt cheeks hanging out 
You were going to do that anyway. <laughs> I was about yeah, to say. I, know. I wasn't going to wear pants. Mifune, that's just you. <laughs> Come on. I look cool. I got a big sword and everything. Mafane. I'm a Mafane. I have to say. <laughs> I'm a Mafane. Okay. I'm a Fune. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah, I think we've officially gone on long enough. All right. With Another Mafane jokes. Books. Another one for the books, folks. All right, folks. Next up. On Galani and Chill will be the Indiana Jones series with maybe a Dial of Destiny thrown in there. So uh, stay tuned. All right. Man, I don't even know if I want to watch that movie. <laughs> Her embrace, which is, you know, the cold. Uh, he decides to stand up, you know, and to shake the cold off and to save his friends. And he brings them back to camp. And apparently this was based off of some things in Akira Kurosawa's life, because he was an avid mountain climber. Uh, he, I, I couldn't believe that when I read it, but... <laughs> That's wild. It is really weird, right? <laughs> he really enjoyed it, and it's like the worst thing that could possibly happen to a mountain climber. It's basically the blizzard. Um, interesting flick. A um, little too long, I would say. Uh, in, but I, I really enjoyed it. Very, very harrowing. Um, and then... We move on to uh, The Crow. And this is interesting only in that it's a movie entirely about Vincent Van Gogh. And uh, Martin Scorsese plays Vincent Van Gogh. <laughs> when you told me Perfect that, casting. I was like, well, I guess I have to see this one for sure now. <laughs> Dude, it's something else. I mean, he's like, um, you only see him for about five minutes. But then there's this great scene afterwards where the main character of the film is walking through the actual like sets and scenes from Vincent van Gogh paintings. And he eventually starts walking into the paintings and walking around the Vincent van Gogh paintings and all of the special effects for the scene, the, the keying out and the green screen was done by I, I, uh, was it ILM. Industrial ILM. light magic. Industrial light magic. <laughs> yeah, well, this was Lucas. This was the one, this was one of those movies that he had trouble financing, right? And so he had to, like, get Spielberg to help? Yes, yes. He had Spielberg and George Lucas helping him out and financing. It's crazy movie. that he was still, he was making movies that sound this, I mean, I haven't seen this one yet, but it sounds incredibly challenging to have been, to make. Mm -hmm. And he was doing this in 1990. He must have been very late in his life at that point, right? Yes. Yeah, it's definitely a bold move to take on uh, that when you're older, there's something so complex, but man, uh, it's gorgeous. You know, some of these scenes are so are, are literally like ripped from Van Gogh paintings and they're just mind bogglingly beautiful. The color in this short is Kurosawa. Like once they allowed him to shoot in color, like he went fucking nuts. Like, <laughs> everything, every color is bright and like alive and beautiful and you've seen you've seen ron right yeah dude no I, ron, that's ron is maybe the best use of color i've ever seen in a movie it's incredible right. <laughs> it's a rainbow of beauty of just all, all every color you could think of you know in the spectrum um and this film is like that i think ron is obviously a, a masterpiece this is a little different this is a personal story but someone who really enjoys vincent van gogh um yeah, very good. Visually, I, I suggest watching it. It's a little silly when he's walking through the Van Gogh paintings, but, you know, I let it go. because it's, it's Van Gogh. It's beautiful paintings, you know. Um, 
the next film I like to talk about is the tunnel, or at least the short in this. And in the tunnel, uh, the story is a, uh, it looks like a post-apocalyptic world. At least that's the way I can gather from it. Um, about a, a army captain walking through a dark tunnel. And then as he gets to the end, um, all of the dead soldiers that he has brought into battle that have died start coming out of the tunnel and talking to him. Um, they're not supposed to do that. They're not supposed to do that. And they look like zombies. They got blue skin and black eyes. They look like Night of the Living Dead zombies. Oh, they got the, the <laughs> Dawn of the <laughs> Dead? Yeah, Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> fucking blue ass skin. Like, that's way more green. This is like more blue. Um, but yeah, like the really interesting thing that I found out about shooting the scene was as they're coming out of the tunnel, it's very dark. So what Kurosawa did was he put a light on the back of every soldier so that the soldier behind them would be lit as they're coming out of the tunnel. And it's gorgeous. It looks beautiful the way it's done. The story is a little overwrought. I think this one could also have been cut down a bit. But it's uh, it's a great little you know uh, 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 you know conversation about war and, and death and about how that's always kind of stuck with us you know the, the post traumatic stress of, of combat interesting flick uh, interesting little short now the last two I'm really in love with because Kurosawa went like full post apocalyptic there's the short called Mount Fuji in Red. Where literally the plot is Mount Fuji is exploding. And so are all the, the nuclear power plants. And the world, the sky has turned red. And everybody is running and terrified. And they're all dying miserably. And they start, there's only three survivors. And one of the survivors is the, the man who caused it all. The, the owner of the various nuclear power plants. And he starts describing what each one of the colored gases that are floating around in the in the wasteland, what they do to you. Like he's like, that's argon. That'll rip through your body, cause you to shit out blood, you know, like and that's red. That's the red cloud. And they're just describing each one of the clouds, and he's like, Well, it's better to just kill yourself at this point. <laughs> and he like jumps off a cliff. <laughs> it's very dark, but kind of funny. Um uh, very interesting flick. I've never, I, this is the first time I've ever seen Kurosawa would do like a post-apocalyptic thing. Um, it's very interesting. And then the next film on that is The Weeping Demon, which seems to be like a continuation of the story where people have started turning into demons in the post-apocalyptic world. And they're just miserable and sad. And, but like juxtapose that with the radiation causing the plant life to grow, like, wildflowers and sunflowers growing gigantic like in, in uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. <laughs> There's like giant sunflowers that look like trees. It's gorgeous. It looks really neat. Um, and the special effects are really neat too. Um, but yeah, it's just such an interesting little foray into something that's so that's very alien to a lot of Kurosawa films. And I, I really liked it. I really thought it was something interesting to watch. Um this is no. getting a uh, Criterion 4K in August, so ah. I'll be sure to pick that oh. up. Very, very interesting uh, flick. I, I suggest seeing it, you know, just for the once. If you're a Kurosawa head, um, you'd really, really enjoy this. Um, this is a 67% of Ron Tomatoes, which I think is a little low. 
I, I don't think it's a great movie. I think this is another fuck, but I think it's great in that how different it is from a lot of the other stories that Corsell has told. Um, this was, the budget was 1.5 billion yen, which sounds like a lot, but is not. I think it's somewhere of like 50 million. You know, for 1990s, it's not too bad. I mean, I think even lower than that, like 20 million, maybe 25. And, uh, yeah, really interesting film. And uh, like I, like Tim said, this was made in 1990. has a runtime of 119 minutes. And I think with that, uh, that about sums it up for, for Kira Kurosawa films. Now, I watched uh, 15, I think, of his 30 or so films. I'm not going to stop watching them after this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try to watch every last one of these fuckers. Uh, they're all fascinating just, in their own right i just imagine somebody just trying to like be like chris you can't you just try and stop me you stop you try and stop me you try and keep me from like, watching no, no, nobody cares nobody cares man <laughs> he, well, i don't have shit to prove to, to anybody everybody thinks that like you know after i'm done one of these things i just throw all the dvds out into a dumpster. I, well, that's what I thought. You did, you did say, I'm going to throw all these Police Academy DVDs into the dumpster when you well, did do that. that. Do you blame me? I kept I, mean, I, I kept Citizens on Patrol. Okay. Oh, that's okay. a big, that's, big move. That's big four, move. That's number four, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. That, one, that one's really good. You know? <laughs> like, Only took him four tries. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Chris, just a quick question. Sure. Of all of the series you have done, of all of the directors you or, or series that you have covered on Galani and Chill, where does Kurosawa rank in terms of your favorites to have actually covered, or in terms of like your overall hierarchy? So the two that the three that spring to mind for me, the three that really lasted the longest, would be Kurosawa, Bergman, and Lars von Trier. Those are the ones that really stuck to me, and I'm like kind of in awe after watching all of them, and totally more, way more respect for those directors than I did before after watching those. So it's in the top three. Um, I think I, I would put him in two. I actually okay. would put Lars von Trier at one. I was I I figured that would be the case because you're definitely a sicko. I'm a disturbing, <laughs> you're a huge sicko, disgusting human being, and I enjoy pain and torment and darkness and violence. And uh, Nymphomaniac is, is one of my favorite movies now because of watching all of them. But all that being said, these like Kiru, Seven Samurai, Rashomon. I don't, they're perfect movies, you know, like, and I would completely understand somebody saying that Kurosawa obviously is a better director than Lars von Trier, but we're talking about personal taste, right? And the things that I'm, are like tattooed in my brain, but those top three, man, those are the, those are the kings. Those are the, the three heads on Mount, on my Mount Rushmore. Mm. The fourth head is just you. <laughs> that's a fun head to have on that wall. Me absolutely. Lars von Trier's head, like that would be. The <laughs> but he looks like he's kind of into it a little bit. Of course he is. <laughs> he's a sicko. Um, yeah, but uh, 
As far as my favorite Kurosawa movie, whew. I gotta say, I think it's still Yojimbo. Just because, like, I watch, I watch some anime and I watch so many other things that are so inspired by Yojimbo, the character of Sanjuro specifically. Like, nice. I, I was looking at, like, you guys put up uh, concept art from Street Fighter 6 and I saw Ryu with his fucking hands in his gi and I was like yeah. what mm-hmm. oh yeah what dude like that is the samurai like yeah like, I, I, I'm not going to be mad at you for picking Yojimbo like you're probably right but you could pick any of the films that any of his quote unquote masterpieces and you would be right that this is his best movie for sure Ikaro, Bad Sleep Well, Rashomon, Seven Samurai all the ran all, all most of the movies i've watched are instant masterpieces they're just perfect movies but you know personal preference right that's mm. really what it all boils down to at the very end and i have my biases like anybody else man do i love a stoic hero that is <laughs> sick of this shit and is just making jokes about everybody like that just that is my favorite character archetype <laughs> you know? i mean like it, it extends down to like you know indiana jones and like you know more modern like film like heroes where it's just like the older like you said sick of this shit like hero or or anti he's over it you know like yeah it's just it's just somebody who is seen this so many times and so Mm. just finds the humor in it you know yeah and his eye for like you know mifune like especially like so early on like he's like yeah that that's my guy like it's so clear that he adores Mifune's face and he knows exactly how to use it as a tool to convey important story beats without dialogue. Yes. And he, I feel like a lot of his, uh, his best movies work specifically on that relationship between the camera and Mifune's face. Yeah. And like beyond that, it's just like, it's, it's, a, it's impressive that like, he just like, he, he kept the people that like, made those movies because he knew they made those movies yeah. and it's a shame that like he did have to like lose some of them uh but like the thing is it's just like you know he stuck he stuck with those people and he, he made so many masterpieces it's it's the sounding frankly and and the krang of it all you know the video the <laughs> yes i i have to say i i after watching all these i have so much respect for that guy like i feel like he was really like the guy who figured out the little weird problems that come up when you write a script Mm -hmm. and he figured out how to get around them with the logic of the movie and it makes sense and the plotting is so unique i feel like that's a lot of that is him and i i i didn't know that going into this i didn't know who that guy was and you know now i have so much respect for him as a storyteller he's incredible you know um yeah it's like it's like putting all the best aspects together to make a masterpiece. It's mm-hmm. great writing, great directing, great acting. Um, yeah, Every obviously. movie is like an all-star, like an all-star yeah. team. Yeah. It's the nineties bulls, man. They're all, yes. together. <laughs> <laughs> they're all functioning at the peak performance to make movies. It always that comes work. back to the nineties bulls with you too. Well, oh, I'm sorry. It's, it's the dream team. You're, you're right. Tim. It's the dream Thank team you. USA olympic team uh yeah you're right you know there's there's so much talent behind and in front of the camera in all these movies 
No, I believe um, John had asked that you rank. You got to MFK the. Yeah, you got to MFK the the Shakespeare Shakespeare adaptations, please. (laughs) Okay. Okay. All right. So, what do we got? We got. uh, Let me clarify here. We got. The Bad Sleep Well. Bad Sleep Well. Uh, Rash, not Rashmon. Um, it's going to be Bad Sleep Well, Ron, Ron, and Throne of Blood slash Spiderweb Castle. Marry Ron. Ron. Fuck Throne of Blood. Kill. Kill High Low. Bad Sleep Well. Yeah. Not what I expected. Wow, Chris. Fucking asshole. Okay. It's <laughs> not what I expected, to be perfectly honest, but I do agree with you. <laughs> I think Ran, Ran is. I love King Lear. I'm a bit. That's also same. Biased. Same, absolutely. I mean, I'm. I mean, I would personally rank Macbeth over King Lear, but I think Ron is just. It's an incredible achievement. I, I agree with you, Tim. I think I like Macbeth more than Ron, but like Ron, I think is better movie. In my opinion, were there it's, any other good King Lear adaptations before, or no? That's the thing. Like, that's not not to that level, in my experience. Like, Macbeth's got tons of adaptations, which kind of like because I'm so I actually I love the Roman Polanski Macbeth. I fucking love that movie so. Yeah, much. I love that one too. Um, but I just I love Throne of Blood more. <laughs> I yeah, yeah. I, I totally understand that. Like that's it's. Uh, but, that's yeah, what, I'm not gonna fucking call you a neanderthal for <laughs> liking roman polanski's more you know well you know it's it's preference. that's the first one i've watched because that that's the one that they showed us in high school when we when we did Macbeth. it's a brutal so i was movie. like super fucking like whoa what is this new world of fucking craziness you know you know why i think i i stuck with that that stuck with me more is because of the history of the actual of roman polanski before the movie mm. made like, yeah okay probably in his darkest he's ever been and man does it show in that event like it is a dark violent movie and like tim said i'm a sicko so (laughs) (laughs) what can i say i like seeing the product of somebody's despair you know what's wrong with that guys is that come on what's wrong with that come on Devin. come on Devin. what are you like the products of despair Devin? you say that all the time (laughs) well it's because I just watched the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> yeah, pro- of course, it's a product of despair. He's gonna tear their skin off. You know, Jesus wept. Yeah. So, um. Yeah. Uh. That's an interesting thing. But I. I really. I'm. I committed to that rating for those three movies. I, I really. Like I said, um, it's not what I expected, but I do agree with you. I. I think you are correct in that ranking. Yeah. You know. And. And. Uh, it's it's I love all of these movies too. I just I like to say that I really do. I, I I would watch any of these movies again multiple times. They're just perfectly made, and they just make me love movies. You know, they make, they reinforce my passion for film. How much I love it to death. Um, but yeah, so that's the uh, closing the book on the Kurosawa, Kalani and Chills. That was two part. Yeah. So what's uh did you decide I know you had a couple of options for the next one. So this is what I'm gonna do. This is okay. what I'm gonna do. Since we got a, a subpar Indiana Jones movie coming out. So. <laughs> um I'm gonna try to finish because it's only four movies. I'll finish that and we can probably do another Golanian show with like in two weeks and then just do the Indiana because that the new one com- comes out on the thirtieth, right? 
I think so. You'd probably be able to put that movie in there. That's what I'm thinking, right? Maybe I'll mm-hmm. get I'll get that one as well. And you know, I love Indiana Jones, so I have no problem. Unless if you want to do hard mode, Chris. What's hard mode? You got to watch the young Indiana Jones movies. Too. I'm not watching the young Indiana Jones movies. <laughs> you got to watch them. Harrison Ford has a beard in one of them, and he plays first. a saxophone to death. <laughs> have you seen all these movies? Do you want to talk about them, Steve? It seems like you have. Uh, Harrison Whoa. Ford plays the saxophone and causes an avalanche and kills a bunch of people. It, That's that all was, I remember. All, is that all you got? That That's all, you got, all I got. At some points he plays, there's an old man that's very clumsy and he has an eye patch. I'll tell you though, Steve, after this, I like the idea of the airplane movies. Oh, wait. Now, when you say airplane movies, you mean movies that are featuring air that planes? feature air, airplanes as the, the core setting of the movie. I think you need to do one in every genre. Okay. So it'll be like a drama on an airplane, an action movie on an airplane. Like you could do Air Force One. You could do uh, <laughs> what? Was, I'm sorry. Uh, what would be a drama? Yeah, <laughs> flight with uh, Jodie Foster, right? Flight. Well, there you that go. Kind of a suspense thriller. Or am I wrong? Yeah, yeah like I, I think thriller. Like problem. you got like Red Eye, right? That's a thriller. That's if I remember thriller. correctly, the the plot of Flight is that what if Jodie Foster saw a brown person on her plane after nine eleven? <laughs> Is that really the plot? I think, I think that's basically it. Holy shit, I had no idea. Um, well, it's not good. Don't revisit it. Well, I have to, Tim. That's the rules. <laughs> or you can pick a different movie, because, you know, there's plenty of flight movies, I'm sure. Well, we all, I, I threw Sully out, because that does not take place. You threw Sully out? But <laughs> the birds. You sick <laughs> bastard. It doesn't take place. Like, I said something like 85% or 90% of the film has to take place on the plane. There can't be. There'll be a lot of plane in going even, on. Not even airport, right? Uh, uh, oh, okay. Correct myself. That it's movie is flight plan. Flight yeah, plan. yeah. I'm just going to correct myself before I can get roasted. You got, you got, uh, you got Mahalan Falls. That no, doesn't look like it takes place on a plane. What about uh, um, nonstop? Oh, nonstop. No, that's an action movie. That's not a drama movie. Well, I know yeah. Passenger was it fifty seven. That's going to be on there somewhere. The Wesley Snipes movie. Uh, <laughs> What's that about? Great movie. That's, that's an action movie. 100%. Oh. You know what? I don't know. I, I think ma- keeping yourself to genres might be a bit tough. Yeah. It's going to be tough. I, I feel like uh, most of it is action with like a few horror thriller. Mm. Yeah. On a plane? You got yeah. Yeah. It doesn't yep. take place on a plane. That's just about someone who flies a plane. It's about a crazy man of peas and jugs, Tim. Jug That's Pier. Cool. That's <laughs> what they should have called that movie, not <laughs> Aviator. <laughs> that, is not, that does not work. Um, Jug yeah. Pier really got me for some reason. Yeah, so uh, I'm going to make some, some goonball movies for the next couple making, months. You're always making goonball movies. But, uh, <laughs> so watch but, so the, ne- the next one, though, that's going to be Indiana? Indiana? Indiana Why do they say it like that? Indiana. 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 Go. We like, named the dog Indiana. Spoiler. Let go. Are you uh let it go Indiana? Let it go Indiana. Are you excited <laughs> for you to just make mm, two kills? Two kills on this list? Yeah, of course. Probably yeah, three was... with this next one coming out. 
Oh, no, two, two, yeah. yeah. Oh, oh, I was going to say, oh, what's that mystery kill, Chris? I thought you were throwing in Temple of Doom there without the new one. So I was like, that's interesting. I don't think that's yeah. a kill. I don't think you know that's a kill. No, I mean, I, I hate. I didn't say it. It's crazy that there was kills. a time where that was the weakest Indiana Jones movie. Yeah, I mean, innocent. Time. To be fair, to be fair, if we're just judged by that, those original three, it's clearly the weakest of the three. Of course, of course. yeah, but like yeah. you know, now we're like looking back fondly. We're like, oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure, this movie hasn't aged well culturally, um, but. Uh, it sure actually um, doesn't have a bunch of garbage in it. And you said, I remember, any movie where they eat monkeys' brains is okay in my book. I remember you said that. <laughs> well, I mean, that's why you like Clue so much. That is true. <laughs> I, I mean, to be fair, there's not even monkeys' brains in that movie. I was just eating monkeys' brains during the movie Clue. All right, I just guys. associate the two. I know it came out of the skull of a monkey, but those brains look really good, right? In I'm Indiana's not going to lie. It looked like ice cream. I yeah. imagine that. Those probably weren't really monkey's brains. And in fact, the what? actor <laughs> ate some sort of delightful treat. I don't believe it. Stop. I'm sorry. I'm movie magic. Steve. Can I tell you that these Kurosawa films, they're not real. These aren't documentaries. What? Yeah. <laughs> I believe it. <laughs> Did you say I'm leaving? I don't, I don't believe it. They said, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I should. I should get out of here if that's the case. I thought this was all real. I thought this was some sort of real thing. Wait, all these movies I've been watching aren't real? (laughs) These are documentaries? What's going on here? What am I doing? The Police Academy was not a documentary. I haven't told you. An Ikaru moment where I get my life together, go partying, (laughs) then hate it. Buy yourself a new hat. Oh, speaking of which, are you guys going to watch that Bill Nye British version? Uh, I'm not. Wait, of what? Of Ikiru. Oh, it's, it's called Living. It came out last year. I what? believe. Bill, Bill Nye. Mm. It's not the science guy. It's the other Bill Nye. Oh, I thought. Oh, uh, Bill Nye. Nye. Yeah. It's the yeah pirates. I was gonna say, Squid, are they allowed Squid to Man. do this? <laughs> I don't think they're allowed to do this. Yeah, it was just Bill Nye giving you an hour long discussion about how cancer works. I think it's pronounced <laughs> Nye. Not pronounced naive. Nike. Chris, that's pretty Bill Naive of you. (laughs) I I think I'm gonna give it a shot. It's free (laughs) on uh, Amazon Prime. I'm gonna I'm gonna see it. Let's see what they do. I'd rather use that runtime to watch Akira again. Yeah, for real. (laughs) Being honest. Hey man, he got nominated for Academy Award for it. For this? Bill Nye. For the for the Ikiru remake? Yes. Gross! <laughs> How dare they? <laughs> Sorry, but gross. I like to think it, it's probably oh, he magnificent seventh Ikiru. It so he gets a. It's just I mean, about I, a. Cow, I, I, it's about a cowboy who has stomach cancer. Oh no! <laughs> <laughs> I can't get <laughs> You gotta go to this other cowboy to get that thing built. No, you got to go to the other cowboy. And he goes, I'm going to go cowboy, fix his cowboy problem. And then he's dead in the middle of it. I watched I the saddest believe, cowboy movie. He built a rodeo. Kurosawa got a, uh, a writing credit on the Bill Nighy movie. So. Wait, who? Kurosawa. Oh, thank God oh. they gave him a writing credit. I believe, that, yeah. Did they give a Goonie a writing credit? Because he wrote that too. No. Yeah, did they give Krang, Krang the writing <laughs> no. credit? 
I did. I did. I already looked him up. He's very. He is a bit crang like. I'm not gonna lie. It's very unfortunate to be described as crang like. I mean, no, but it's just like it's just. I just like the idea of Kurosawa having a brain in a jar that talks to him. <laughs> to be honest, he's kind of Wantanabe. He's probably Wantanabe in real life, that guy. Oh, no. <laughs> he's just not happy because he's just <laughs> fucking... Nope. Uh, Hideo Oguni did get a writing credit on Living. Okay, cool, 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 cool. That's great. They all did. Uh, Kurosawa, Hashimoto, and Oguni all got writing credits. That's fair. I, so is it just on. like it's just like fucking... Oh, man, let me, let me shot the shot now. This is probably fucking garbage. Shot. Because I've seen I've seen the one shot with Bill Nye like underneath like surrounded by paper, you know, like. like the shot. If there's a shot of Bill Nye, he ought to swing set. I'm gonna fucking riot though. <laughs> <laughs> so it really is just yeah. No, he builds the English equivalent, which is a pub where the kids can go into and drink. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. yeah, but that hat is not as based no, as Watanabe's not. hat. No. I actually looked it up to see if I could find like the kind of hat that he used so I could maybe purchase one. for Halloween this year? I maybe maybe I will. I don't know. I don't know. It would be sick. I'm gonna be assless. I just look sad all the time. Every time you <laughs> yeah. every time you say something to me, my eyebrows get wide and I just get I frown. Constantly your crying. bottom lip sticks out way too far. <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be Mafune and Seven Samurai, my butt cheeks hanging out. You're gonna do that anyway. <laughs> I was about yeah, to say I, I, know. <laughs> I wasn't gonna not Mafune, pants. that's just you. <laughs> Come on, I look cool. I got a big sword and everything. Mafane. I'm a Mafane. <laughs> I'm a Mafane. Okay. I'm Mafune. Okay, I think that's it. Yeah, I think we've officially gone on long enough. All right. With no the jokes. Don't look for the books, folks. All right, folks. Next up on Galani and Chill will be the Indiana Jones series with maybe a Dial of Destiny thrown in there. So uh, stay tuned. All right. Man, I don't even know if I want to watch that movie. <laughs>